Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the 1953-1954 season of the Jack Benny Show. Tonight's show features Bob Crosby a little more than we're used to. He gets a chance at the beginning of the episode to kind of start it off, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, this is the third week, I believe, in a row where Mary Livingston has not appeared. This is when Mary's Mike Fright has uh, taken over, basically, and she has a real difficult time appearing on the show, and whenever she does appear on the show, uh, it's usually dubbed in, and by dubbed in, I mean they have another actress come on and say Mary's lines, and then later at home, Mary records her lines into a, essentially a tape recorder, and they insert those lines with Mary saying them into the episode. And you usually can tell that pretty easily if it's a dubbed episode or not. Anyway, she's not in this episode at all, so it's just interesting that's kind of what's going on in the background. I think we had our first dubbed episode uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with tonight's episode is that it um, has a western skit, which I always love. This one's the shooting of Dan McGrew, which... I think it's kind of interesting because the name is so similar to the showdown of Rance McGrew, which is an episode of The Twilight Zone from its third season. And I always wonder if there's a connection somehow between the two or if, or if uh, Rod Serling was sort of playing homage to um, Jack's show and to uh, Jack's different Western characters. Anyway, who knows, but... Um, one thing I was going to bring us this week for sure was the poll results. So we've had up all week a poll on which shows that I bring you each week are the most popular. So without further ado, let's bring you those results. Coming in at, we had, well, we had 11 shows total, and there were a couple ties, so we're going to do nine different levels, I guess. Coming in at number nine is Judy Canova. And Judy Canova's show had uh, six votes, which gave it 2% of the vote. Followed by, uh, at number eight, we have, I'm looking here to figure out where I left off at number eight, I believe we have a tie with, between Command Performance and Dennis Day's show, both at 16 votes, or 5% of the vote. We have... Uh, Following that up, we have On Stage with 17 votes and 5% of the vote. Um, then that, so that would be number 7. At number 6, we have, it looks like it would be Bing Crosby with 25 votes or 8% of the vote. Following that, we have Gunsmoke. A tie between Gunsmoke and The Fred Allen Show, both at 31 votes or 10% of the votes. Then we have Fibber McGee and Molly at 34 votes, a way higher than I expected them to be. Uh, then we go to Suspense with 35 votes or 11% of the vote. Then from there, all we have left is Phil Harris with 43 votes and 13% of the vote. And of course, 
big surprise capping off our poll is Jack Benny with 72 votes or 22% of our overall votes. I was kind of um, hoping to have about 30 people, hopefully, do the poll. I've seen polls done at other sites and things, and usually they have like 12 people or something do them. I was hoping since we have so many people come to our site that we have at least like 30. I would have thought 30 was successful. Well, we had over 326 voters out there, so thank you so much for voting in that poll. It was really interesting and helps me kind of figure out what shows to bring you. I was kind of feeling bad about bringing you so much Fibber McGee and Molly, because I've been bringing three shows a week here lately. But, with how popular it is, it shows, well, maybe that is a good idea to bring you that much Fibber McGee and Molly. And then Judy Canova, I'm going to give her a break, because we've only had her added in here just a little while. Her sound quality is not so great on her early shows, so we'll just see if she grows on people. Uh, also, I was going to change and alter how many command performances I brought you, and that uh, bring you a few less of those, and that ties in well with the fact it didn't get all that many votes anyway, so it's all good. Now for this week's poll, I put in a new poll today, you come to buckbenny.com to take my poll, and this poll is, what years of the Jack Benny show are your favorites? I uh, clumped them into groups of five. I think they break down nicely that way, so we have, um, the first one's not quite five years, but it's 1932 to 1935, and the next one's 1936 to 1940, and then 1941 to 1945, and then 1946 until 1950, and then 1950 until 1951, I guess, until 1955. Um, you can always tell in my polls, and lots of polls across the internet are done the same way. If what you're choosing to vote on has a uh, circle next to it that you fill in, well then you can usually only vote for one thing, and if you, a way to test that out is to try and click on another item, and if your vote goes away in the top one and changes to the other one, then you know. If there's little squares that you have to fill in, you can usually check off more uh, choices than just one. So anyway, in this poll, you can do multiple choices. Tell me the your favorite years of the Jack Benny poll, and we'll see how many people vote in this one. And I'm curious to see what years are the most popular. I'll tell you next time what which ones are most popular with me. As for this week's poll, uh, the ones that are the most popular with me right now that I listen to the most, I would have probably voted... Well, I did vote a little bit. I voted for uh, some of these. I don't remember exactly what I voted for, but I think it was Jack Benny. Of course, it's my number one most popular show that I listen to. Bing Crosby, I think, I would have been my second choice for uh, for shows because I just love Bing's guests, and I love that he brings on such a diverse group of performers uh, to perform for us, and uh, very forward-thinking in, in the amount of... Um, diversity that he brought to his show. Oh, next, boy. That'd be tough. Probably Suspense. Maybe Suspense and Gunsmoke. Uh, and Fred Allen used to be at the top. I'm not quite as excited about Fred Allen as I used to be. It's, I'm still, I love the show. I love him. It's just I've 
I listened, I got so into him for a few years there that I just kind of not listened to every single episode. Also, the sound quality of the episodes now is not the greatest, unfortunately. Anyway, so those were probably my top picks. Uh, as for the my biggest surprises of the poll were, like I say, Fibber McGee and Molly, and then On Stage also surprised me because On Stage did very, very well, um, far better than I thought it would with uh, 17 votes or 5% of the vote. Um, it did better than Judy Canova, Command Performance, and Dennis Day. So I would have thought Dennis Day would have for sure beat on stage. So very interesting. And also, I guess I'm surprised that Phil Harris did so well. It came in number two, and I didn't think Phil Harris would come in number two. I knew it come it come in high. I just didn't know that high. But uh, I guess that's it for this week. Enjoy. Um, oh, make sure you tune in this week to the suspense episode. I'll probably bring it to you on Wednesday because Jack Benny is going to make a guest appearance on that episode from the 1954 season. So it's right about the same time of year as the episode you're listening to tonight. Anyway, enjoy. We'll see you next time. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For Lucky Strike meats, fine tobacco, richer tasting, fine tobacco. Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky Strike, Lucky Strike. This is Don Wilson, friends. Let's take a good, close look at the subject of why you smoke cigarettes. Think it over a minute. And you'll agree that the main reason, and probably the only reason you smoke, is simply that you enjoy it. You like the taste of a cigarette. Sure, smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste. And the fact of the matter is, Lucky's taste better. Lucky's taste better, cleaner, fresher, smoother, for two very important reasons. One is, LS, MFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. The tobacco in Lucky's is fine, naturally mild, good tasting. Another reason for this better taste is that Lucky's are actually made better, made round and firm and fully packed to draw freely and smoke evenly. Fine tobacco in a better made cigarette gives you better taste every single time. So if you go along with me that smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste, then be happy, go Lucky, because the fact of the matter is Lucky's taste better. Get a carton of Lucky Strike and see for yourself. Be happy, go lucky, get better taste today. The Lucky Strike program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, the sportsman quartet, and yours truly, Don. Ladies and gentlemen, many times in the past I've opened this program by taking you out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. But tonight, just for a change, let's all go out to Mr. and Mrs. Bob Crosby's house on the edge of Beverly Hills. Many times, many times I have wanted your kiss. Many times, many times... Oh, Bob. Bob. Yes, June? You've been in the den here for an hour. What are you doing? Well, just rehearsing some songs, dear. I'm thinking of making another personal appearance. Personal? 
personal appearance. Where? Las Vegas. Oh, Bob, I wish you wouldn't. You remember what happened last time we were up there. You gambled every night and lost quite heavily. Oh, I know. Well, don't do it again. I miss the baby. (laughs) (laughs) But really, Bob, I'm serious. I wish you wouldn't play another personal appearance. Well, why not, dear? Well, you're so busy. You're on Mr. Benny's show every week. You play benefits. You make records. And you have your own TV show five days a week. You're never home anymore. Oh, June, you're exaggerating. Oh, Mother... Mother! Yes, dear? Can I go to the park and play ball? Certainly. Okay, I'll be back in time for dinner. Say, Mom. Yes, dear? Who's this guy, the plumber? (laughs) (laughs) He's your father. Well, certainly I'm your father. Don't you recognize me, Chris? I'm Steve. (laughs) Uh, You run along, Steve, and be home in time for dinner. I will. Goodbye, Mother. Goodbye, Dad. (laughs) Goodbye, goodbye. (laughs) Now she's grown. Honey, I could have sworn he was Chris. Gosh, you know, June, I've been thinking about what you said, though, I think I'm going to forget about personal appearances and spend more time at home. Oh, Bob, I wish you would. I will, and not only that, I think... Why don't we have a dinner party here at home like we used to? Oh, that would be wonderful. How about next Saturday night? That's fine. I'll invite all the boys in my band and their wives, and and you know what, June? I think we ought to invite Jack Benny, too. You do? Why, certainly. Oh, but, Bob, he's such an important man, and he's so busy. You, You can't call and invite him to dinner on such short notice. Well, I'm going to try anyway. Bob, I think you're making a big mistake. Now, don't you worry, June. I've got an idea. Look, we'll change the date of our dinner to fit Jack's convenience. Hello? Hello, Jack. This is Bob Crosby. Oh, hello, Bob. Say, Jack, June and I would like to invite you to our house for dinner, and, well, when would it be uh, possible for you to come? Oh, 7 o'clock, 7.30? In fact, I, I can be over right now. Well, we weren't thinking of tonight. We were thinking of some night this week. Which would be the most convenient? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Well, you skipped Thursday. Oh, I, I babysit that night. Oh. I used to do it for you, but you lost your kid in Las Vegas. <laughs> I know, I know. But, Jack, how about coming over for dinner Saturday night? Oh, so, oh, fine, Bob. Fine. Say, and after dinner, we can have some fun. You know, play gin or Scrabble. Oh, no, thank you, Jack. I'll never play Scrabble with you again after last Sunday's game. You're too tricky for me. I don't know how in the world you do it. Do what? Well, there are only two Y's in the game, and yet you made the word money 11 times. <laughs> well, all right. We'll play something else. So long. See you Saturday. So long, Jack. Goodbye, Bob. Gee, it was nice of Bob to invite me over to his house for dinner. He's always doing things like that. Having people over for dinner, taking them out to nightclubs, having parties. He's so generous. He ought to see a psychiatrist. (laughs) 
Well, when Rochester comes home for shopping, I better tell him I won't be home for dinner Saturday night. Gee, he's been at that market a long time. Coming, coming. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. Come on in. Thanks. I wasn't expecting you today, Dennis. Anything wrong? No, I just wanted to ask you a favor. Could you lend me $10? $10? Yes, I, I guess so. What do you want it for? I want to get myself tattooed. <laughs> tattooed? Why? Well, I was in the Navy during the war, and yet nobody will believe I was a sailor. <laughs> well, what are you going to have tattooed on you? My uniform. about the... Si Look, kid, if you want something tattooed on you to show that you were in the Navy, why don't you have a life preserver or an anchor? Or wait a minute, how about the battleship Missouri? No, my mother has that. <laughs> Your mother has a battleship tattooed on her? When she wears a corset, it looks like it's sinking. <laughs> hey, say, wait a minute, kid, I've got a good idea. Why don't you do what I did when I was in the Navy? Have the American flag put on your arm. Gee, I didn't know you had the American flag on you. Yeah, I had it done the first day I joined the Navy. Wait, I'll roll up my sleeve and show it to you. See? Gee, only 13 stars. <laughs> yes, Dennis, only 13 stars, but not for the reason you think. I made the man stop because he was hurting me. Then why did he put them in a circle? get into any more discussions with you. Now, I'll make you a proposition. Yeah, what? If I lend you the $10, will you let me hear the song you're going to do on next Sunday's program and leave immediately? Yes, sir. Okay, here's the $10. What song are you going to say? My brand new RCA Victor recording of Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> Sit, enjoy in the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Tell you why the day is sunny. I'm in love with lips of honey. Wait till you see the way she walks. Hey, brother, pour the wine. is coming here to stay. Hey, brother, pour the wine. I have waited for this day. Hey, brother, pour the wine. She writes of love in every letter. Others have tried, but I will get her. Wait till you see the way she walks. Hey, brother, pour the wine. What is life? What is spring? What are all the stars that shine? Love, my friend, is everything. And love will soon be mine Pour it as quickly as you can Hey, brother, pour the wine Pour it quickly once again Hey, brother, pour the wine She's here at last, my one and only Goodbye, friends, don't be lonely Wait till you see the way she walks Hey, brother, pour the wine Hey, brother, pour the wine, 
Ours was never meant to last Hey brother, pour the wine She introduced me to another No, my friends, he's not her brother I will miss the way she walks Hey brother, pour the wine Quickly as you can. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Pour it quickly once again. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Pour the wine. Pour the wine. Hey, brother. song you recorded. It should sound swell on the program. Oh, thanks. Now go get yourself tattooed. Okay, Mr. Benny. You know, uh, you know what I think I'll do? I'll have them Dennis, tattoo... Look, a... you promised me if I lent you the $10, you wouldn't say anything. You just go. Yes, sir. Okay, then go. All right, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, Dennis gets sillier and sillier every day. I don't know how I've stood him all these years, but it's my own fault. I should have known when I first saw him there was something wrong with him. <laughs> what other man wears a size three hat? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, sometimes I think... Mr. Benny, I'm back from the market. Good. I'm in the kitchen putting the things away. I'll come in and help you. Hey, what took you so long, Rochester? Well, I had a lot of things to do. You know, I took all the hamburger out of the freezer, sold it, and bought 36 quarts of milk. Why'd you do that? Beef went up, milk went down. I'm playing the market. <laughs> Say, Rochester, what's this? A head of lettuce. How can this be lettuce? It's pure white. The fat is over. They're taking chlorophyll out of everything. <laughs> oh. By the way, Mr. Benny, are you going out tonight? No, I think I'll stay home and practice my violin. Violin? Oh, boss, calm now. All right, all right. I'll wait till you get out of the house. Meanwhile, I'm going in the den and read for a while. Okay. <coughs> Gee, I haven't read a book in a long time. Let's see what's here. Vaudeville by Joe Laurie Jr. Look Who's Abroad Now by Earl Wilson. Did you hear the book I haven't read? 100 Famous Poems. Gee, I haven't read poetry in a long time. I think I'll read this. <clears throat> Let's see. See, they have some wonderful poems in this book. Charge of the Light Brigade, Hiawatha, The Wreck of the Hesperus, Ganga Din. There was an old lady from... Whoops, somebody penciled that in. <laughs> Oh, here's one of my favorite poems. I haven't read it in years. The Shooting of Dan McGrew. I think I'll read that. The Shooting of Dan McGrew by Robert W. Service. (laughs) 
boys were whooping it up in the Malamute Saloon. The kid that handles the music box was hitting a jag time tune. Hey, bartender. 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 Yeah? I want a drink of whiskey. Okay, how much whiskey do you want? About three fingers. Here you are. Ah, give me another drink. How much this time? Oh, about four fingers. Okay. There you are. Four fingers of whiskey. Ah. You know, mister, you're the first man I ever saw drink out of a glove. <laughs> I always do. I'm the only man in Alaska that got a hangnail with a hangover. <laughs> Doggone, I've been trapped in this saloon for eight days by that darn blizzard. How much longer do you think it'll last? I don't know. Well, I'm going to take a look outside and see how the weather is. outside. Cloudy. <laughs> Look, bartender, being stuck in a place like this for eight days can drive a guy nuts. I gotta have a little excitement. Tell you what, I'll bet you five dollars I can shoot those three glasses off the top shelf in three shots. Five dollars says you can't. It's a bet. Stand back, everybody. There's one. There's two. You lost. No, I didn't. I've got $20 more that says you did. It's a bet. <laughs> that slow bullet has made me a fortune. Anybody else want a bet? Hey, you at the piano. Don't you know any other music? Nah, he's ignorant, but those fur are four fur trappers in the corner. Those you must four... have had five fingers yourself. I see those four fur trappers in the corner. They can sing some songs. Well, let's hear some. <laughs> okay, take it, fellas. Jette the plume array la tête, light a lucky alouette. Jette the plume array la tête, light a lucky alouette. Alouette, alouette, cigarette, cigarette. Ah, alouette, puffer cigarette, made a fine tobacco, ooh la la. Alouette, gentle alouette, wrote a letter to her dear papa. Here is what the letters say. Send more luckies right away. Son of a gun, but Eskimos, they smoke luckies too, you know. Eskimo. Eskimo. Smoke, you know. Smoke, you know. Alouette. Alouette. Cigarette. Cigarette. They all like. They all like. Lucky strike. Lucky strike. Oh, Alouette, pop a cigarette. She is just as happy as can be. We saw luckies made of fine tobacco. L.S.M.F. L.S.M.F. 
Sing mit sie Eis und Snow, we're so very glad to know. She's as happy as can be, we said LSMFD. RMFD, we agree, we agree. Eskimo, Eskimo, smoke you know, smoke you know. Alouette, Alouette, cigarette, cigarette. Say you like, say you like. Lucky strike, lucky strike. Alouette, puff a cigarette. Well, how'd you like the song? That was Say, See Good. <laughs> Hey, look, mister, the blizzard is letting up. Yeah, well, I think I'll get going. Where's my partner? Hey, Wilson! Wilson! Here I am. Come on, we're going up north to find gold. Gold, do you hear me? Gold. Just a minute, partner. Don't risk your life out there in these icy wastes looking for gold. What is gold? Can't eat it? Can you drink it? Gold's only money. The money will only bring you unhappiness, misery, and sorrow. Would you mind repeating that? Money will only bring you unhappiness, misery, and sorrow. This boy is not only fat, but he's stupid. <laughs> Now, come on, let's get the dogs ready and the sled. We're going. slow, Wilson, and it's all your fault. I took you on as a partner because I was a greenhorn. You told me you knew everything about the Yukon. You told me you knew how to handle these dog teams and sleds. Of course I do. What makes you think I don't? Well, I have a feeling the dog should be pulling the sleds and we should be riding. <laughs> I'm sure of it. And that cocker spaniel with the whip is murder. <laughs> That dog yells mush at me once more. There's going to be trouble. Gee, I can't stand this no more. Three weeks we've been traveling through these frozen wastes. I hey, wish I... Wait a minute. Comes huh? a man. An Eskimo. Oh, yeah. I'll go and talk to him. Won't do any good. These Eskimos don't talk any English. I know, but I talk Eskimo. I'll say hello to him. Hey, Kumpare! <laughs> That's Eskimo? <laughs> Look, he's coming toward us. And he's carrying food. Yeah, maybe he'll give us some blubber. <laughs> I mean, maybe he'll give us some blubber. <laughs> hey, he wants to talk to us. Oogie, oogie, wah, wah, mugga, hoo, mugga, he. What'd he say? What'd he say? He says his name is a mighty hunter and he's chief of an Eskimo tribe. Oh. Ask him if he'll be our guide and lead us to the goal. Mugla Mugliuka Takara Iglu Marabuugi Gloob Nagikuch Tigra Oh, 
three of my writers must come from Bismol Beach or something. <laughs> nuggy nuggy talking. He says he can't be a guide. He's got something else to do. Ask him what? Oogie Tula Nagarari? Takalugi Moogie Papoose Nangawawa. What'd he say? He's got to go to Las Vegas and pick up his kid. <laughs> Let's go on by ourselves. Goodbye, Eskimo. Goodbye, and don't forget dinner Saturday night. <laughs> Ow! Come on, let's go. <laughs> I'm pulling it! I'm pulling it! <laughs> Wait a minute, Wilson, look. Look at the side of that mountain. We found it, a vein of pure gold. Do you hear me, Wilson? Look at it. Pure gold. Oh, boy, am I unhappy, miserable, and sorry. <laughs> Come on, Wilson. Let's dig that gold and go back to the saloon. Back of the bar in a solo game sat dangerous Dan McGrew. Now, watching his luck was his light of love, the lady that's known as Lou. Went out of the night, which was 50 below, and into the din and glare. There stumbled a miner fresh from the creeks, dog dirty and loaded for bear. Okay, bartender. I struck it rich. Set up drinks for everybody. Does that include me, handsome? <laughs> sure does, Lou. I came right back here after finding the gold just to see you. Well, the minute I heard you was coming, I hurried home and got into this new dress. You must have been in a hurry. <laughs> you didn't get all the way into it. <laughs> but, Lou, I got presents for you now that I'm rich. I got diamonds and ermine furs, a 54 convertible. A platinum mine, jewels, and a yacht for you. Oh, darling. Just call me Santa Baby. <laughs> oh, you're so wonderful. Come here, honey. Kiss me. <laughs> well, after that kiss, I won't need my dogs or my sled anymore. Why not? There ain't no more snow between here and the North Pole. <laughs> Give me another kiss, Lou. Sure, honey. I'll... Oh, wait a minute. Be careful. Here comes dangerous Dan McGrew. Lou, come here a minute. Yes, Dan? Didn't I see you kissing this stranger a minute ago? Yes, you did. Hey, he sounds dangerous. <laughs> what know, about it? You know what I do to guys I catch kissing my gal? What? I cut off their heads and hang them up by their hair. Oh. I'll have to think of something different for you. <laughs> oh, I ain't scared. Now listen to me, Dan McGrew. Lou is my gal, and I'm taking her with me. Oh, no, you're not. Draw your gun. Don't, don't fight, boys, please. Get out of the way, Lou. I'm ready, Dan. Then I reached for my rod, and the lights went out, and two guns blazed in the dark. <laughs> and a woman screamed, and the lights went up, 
and two men lay stiff and stark. Bye, Stiff. So long, Stark. <laughs> Pitched on his head and pop full of lead was dangerous Dan McGrew, while a man from the creeks lay clutched in the arms of the lady that's known as Lou. Jack will be back in just a minute, but first, a word from one of the world's funniest men of letters, America's comic poet laureate, Ogden Nash. Somebody once went through my poems and made a list of the things I dislike. It's a pretty long list, too. However, on the list of things I like, they said he likes good eating. Of course I like good eating. I like good anything, good fun, good smoking. Naturally, I smoke Luckies. To put it poetically, I hope I'm not a crank, but I've got one foible. I don't enjoy anything unless it's enjoyable. I'm pernickety about what I like, and for 30 years, I've smoked Lucky Strike. We agree with Ogden Nash about smoking enjoyment. It's all a matter of taste. And the fact of the matter is, Lucky's taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For two good reasons. First, LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Second, Luckies are made better to draw freely and smoke evenly. That, too, means better taste for you. So be happy. Go lucky. Pick up a carton and prove to yourself that Luckies taste better. Luckies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky strike. Lucky strike. We're a little late, so good night, folks. The Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsberg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Al Gordon, Hal Goldman, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. The Jack Benny program is brought to you by Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. <laughs> to bring to you the co-presidents of the what is the afternoon fine arts league Daisy and Mindy in Cold Sporter's great number Friendship Maestro If you're ever
Howdy everyone, Stacy and Mindy here, talking about the Phil Harris and Alice Face Show. This episode is called Life Insurance for Phil, and I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's one of their more raucous, hilarious ones, but it's a, <laughs> it's still a you know, of course it's it's funny. It's Phil Harris and Alice Faye. They're always funny. Um, but what did you think of it, Mindy? I agree. It wasn't. It almost didn't feel like a cohesive story. Almost it is, but it's it's just not as maybe fast paced as some of the others we've heard so far. Yeah, yeah. So I think the energy of it was just a little bit different. But right, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I I don't want anyone to be like, oh, well, it's not going to be fun to listen to because it is funny. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's still good. It's yeah, just, <laughs> it's not it's, like boom, yeah. it's over feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have some filler, but no, it's it's still good. Yeah, I did. Um, it did make me curious about a few different things. Like, for example, Phil mentioned in it that he was in the Navy, and I mm-hmm. wondered if that was true in real life. And according to Wikipedia, in 1942, Harris and his entire band enlisted in the Navy, and they served oh, wow. until the end of World War II. So, I I thought that was pretty interesting, and I find that a lot of times in these old radio shows, they'll um, mention things or like the character will say something that they've done, that they really have done, and so I mean that's what made me curious then mm-hmm. to look it up because I was like you know sometimes those things they say are true. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked that up, and apparently he was in the Navy during World War Two. So. Well, that's what I'm finding with kind of learning about these different shows. These people, you know, George Burns, Gracie Allen, and all oh. that. I mean, they, it's like they're they're playing a character, but they're playing themselves at the same time. And so yeah. it, it overlaps a lot with their real life. And yeah. I just think that's interesting. I, I, I'm sure that happens now. I mean, I guess reality TV is what that's come to, which is unfortunate on a lot of <laughs> levels. But uh, back then it seemed... A lot more genuine and uh-huh. entertaining, but yeah, it, I guess it just surprised me how much it it overlapped their themselves. Like I would, I don't know. It seems like seventy five percent of the time, <laughs> with <laughs> little true. fake stories thrown in. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I I do think it's interesting. I mean, times have changed, and I think that's probably why stars are more private nowadays. Because I think back then you could actually walk up to. Um, well, maybe not quite this, but you can walk up to their house, knock on the door, and ask for an autograph. I mean, maybe not quite as blatant as that, but it seemed Mm -hmm. like they were a bit more accessible to the public than a lot of big stars are nowadays. Right. Uh, Now they're on lockdown with beefy dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Just take you down. (laughs) So, but I mean, it was a different time, so that's kind of fun. Um, I also thought it was funny that Phil was using the Boy Scout handbook to do exercises. Oh. And I was like, do they really have exercises? And so just out of curiosity, I googled Boy Scout exercise program, and it popped up with a whole bunch of suggestions for it, and they apparently do have exercises that they recommend <laughs> for scouts. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but it it also made me laugh how a lot of times when someone finds out that they have to have a physical, all of a sudden they're like, oh, I better exercise. I'm like, the physical's mm. the next day. I'm like, you really aren't going to accomplish much in one day except maybe make yourself sore. Yeah. <laughs> My stepdad does that because he has to have them, I think, every six months for his job. And it's oh, like uh-huh. about three days before he lays off the baloney because he <laughs> knows that the cholesterol test is coming or the blood pressure and all that stuff. <laughs> so when he, he stops having his little baloney snacks in you know, the mid-evening, everybody's on alert. He's got a physical coming up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. I... I, there wasn't a lot that I was thinking to look up um, from this one, but did anything jump out at you? The thing that always jumps out at me is Alice Faye's singing voice. Her speaking voice is actually fantastic, too, but her singing voice is so smooth, and it's oh, yeah. so rich. And so I was just <laughs> looking up stuff that probably everybody knew but me, but <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting she was considered for gone with the wind a lot of people were i did read that uh-huh. uh, I, I actually, actually thought, i didn't know that that's cool yeah there was quite a few um it actually casting that role was uh, of scarlet was way more intensive than they kind of expect like yeah was, i i do remember i mean i knew that the casting that role was a really intense thing i knew that but i didn't know that alice faye had been one of the ones that had been considered that's yeah that's pretty interesting it is to me because after watching it i i didn't see it until actually christmas this past year <laughs> you've never seen it before nah it was i mean if it wasn't on tv and then my my family didn't grow up like watching old movies or anything okay, so that's true. i had it old <laughs> my my own little journey through that but it was a great movie but I thought of some of these other actresses I read that were up for it I was like yeah that would have been a totally different movie maybe even Uh a better movie in some (laughs) ways but I won't go further into that theory Uh, but no she was uh, really highly respected by like Irving Berlin said he would choose her over any other singer to introduce his songs. Uh-huh. George Gershwin and Cole Porter back in the 30s said she was hands down the best female singer in Hollywood. And I, I'm almost inclined to believe him. Like they, it's, I mean, it's just the way she just, there's a lot of warmth in her voice. And yeah. it's just like, you can hear the, the emotion. You can almost see her smile kind of thing. I love it. I'm absolutely a fan of hers now. <laughs> Yeah, she. I I really enjoyed the song that she sang in this show mm-hmm. because um, it it reminded me of an I Love Lucy episode where that song is sung in it, and so it kind of she sang it really well, and it was really fun. And like you're saying, you can just it's she's just a fantastic singer, and um, so I'm already listening to something funny and. The song reminds me of something else funny. So I'm mm-hmm. sitting there just like with this big old goofy smile on my face. Right, right. <laughs> I find myself starting to sing along even though it's the first time I heard the song. Oh, and, uh-huh. But I already know the chorus. And so I was kind of <laughs> like, I did that last time we listened to it. Uh-huh. And it wasn't her singing that time. But still, these songs are so catchy. I just I love yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of music, they it's just a quick joke they made about Lawrence Welk and his bubbles. And that amused me because it's a running joke in my family. My mom was forced to watch Lawrence Welk growing up. Oh, and really? For whatever, yeah. And for whatever reason, 
I actually choose to watch Lawrence Welk. I guess because it's so dated, and I just uh-huh. love how like the costumes and some of the oh, music is yeah. actually really good. Yeah. But a lot of it's kind of corny, and I just absolutely love his like accent, which is fake. Like it, it's put on. Like he lost uh-huh. his accent long before he became Lawrence Welk. People just uh-huh. liked it, so he kept it anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, they make the joke about the bubbles and Lawrence Welk. I'm like, oh, he was a joke back then, too. That's awesome. And he was very talented. I'm not saying, like, he was a joke. But, I mean, just that, like, for people to make that kind of joke, but even back then, that amused me. Uh-huh. Because uh, I'll, yeah. It gives you something that you can kind of relate to. And it's like, oh, they feel the same way. <laughs> I know. I'll text my family or friends, and I'm like, Lawrence Welk is on. And they're just like, yay, question mark. <laughs> Like, what's your obsession with this? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, yeah. I actually missed the Lawrence Welk joke. I'm just going to have to go back and re-listen to it. Rats. Ha <laughs> <laughs> So, cool. Well, that's kind of what I thought of for this episode. And were there any final thoughts that you had before I turn, we turn our l- listeners loose on it? Uh, just enjoy that magical voice halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does do a wonderful job. All right, everyone, go ahead and enjoy this wonderful Phil Harris and Alice Face show. Ciao. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, and first in television, presents the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. <laughs> Here is the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, transcribed, written by Jack Douglas and Marvin Fisher, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, the orchestra under the direction of Skip Martin, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. First, a word from RCA Victor. Do you know that for just a few dollars, you can double the enjoyment you get from your radio or television set? Yes, for just a few dollars, you can enjoy the advantages of an expensive phonograph combination with an RCA Victor Automatic Victrola 45 attachment. This inexpensive record changer can be attached to play through any radio or television set. In fact, if your set has a phono jack, all you do is plug the attachment right in. It's as easy as that. And best of all, the Victrola 45 attachment costs as little as $16.75. Or, if you want to play all speeds, RCA Victor also has an automatic Victrola three-speed attachment. With its standard center spindle, it plays 33 and 78 RPM records. And for your 45s, you simply use a handy slip-on spindle. So see your RCA Victor dealer soon. Either one of these dependable RCA Victor record changers will give you hours of pleasure and enjoyment for many years to come. Ask for the Victrola 45 or three-speed attachment by RCA Victor, first in recorded music. And now the stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Faye and Phil Harris. At one time or another, most of us have misplaced an insurance policy. And that's just what has happened in the Harris household. 
So as we find Phil now, he and Elliot are hunting energetically through a lot of things that have accumulated in the attic. Curly, this is a lousy way to spend a beautiful, sunshiny day. If we weren't up in this dusty attic searching for that insurance policy, we could be doing something worthwhile. Like what? Well, several things. We could be out shooting lizards with my new pellet gun. <laughs> or we could be driving my motorcycle up and down the steps at the girls' entrance of Hollywood High School. <laughs> with me standing up on handlebars. <laughs> or we could sneak in to see Rita Hayworth and Sadie Thompson. We've seen it already eight times. Yeah, but not real clear. <laughs> Every time she does that dance, it steams up my 3D glasses. <laughs> Not mine. I got windshield wipers. <laughs> hey, there's that fishing reel I couldn't find. And look hey, here. Hey, what's this, Curly? Elliot, put that down and keep looking for the insurance policy. But what is it? That happens to be my uniform that I wore when I was in the Navy. Gosh, Curly, it's all ripped. Were you wounded? <laughs> well, I never told you about it before, Elliot. Because, well, I ain't the kind of a guy who likes to talk about himself. Beginning when? All right, if you really want to know, you can look it up in the Navy records. I led an invasion. And the battle was terrific. Gee, Curly, I didn't know. Was the battle successful? It certainly was. After seven grueling days, we took an island away from two sea lions and a goonie bird. Curly, <laughs> you've told that story so many times, you're beginning to believe well, it. Well, what am I going to tell my kids? That I spent my whole Navy career as a lookout? But, Curly, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. You've got to go where the Navy sends you. Hey, Just what does a lookout do? Well, I don't know what the other ones did. But I sat in the crow's nest And whenever we crashed into another boat I'd yell, look out! <laughs> it was all a matter of timing I looked in the pockets of this uniform The insurance policy ain't there Oh, gee whiz If I can't find it, it might be pretty serious I hate to think of the consequence. There'd be nothing left but hunger and destitution. Nothing but stark, miserable poverty. How big a policy is this on your life, Curly? Oh, it's not on me. It's on Alice. <laughs> you realize what would happen to me if that sweet, dear little girl got a cold or something and she couldn't make the trip to the bank every week and come home with that shopping bag full of loot? Yeah, it'd be pretty serious. You said that right. How true I might even have to go to work <laughs> But of course, there's Always the music business What's that got to do with you? <laughs> Let's face it, Curly With your musical talent You couldn't be Bubble Boy With Lawrence Welk <laughs> I could burp better bubbles than the guy he's got. <laughs> Let 
Let me tell you something else, Leroy. I still sell a few of them Victor platters. Don't ever worry about me. I'll be yeah, selling records. I'm getting worried about you, too. You've been up here in the attic for hours. Honey, I've been looking for that insurance policy that I took out on you with the uh, Philadelphia Mutual. Oh, didn't I tell you, Phil? I put that with our other policies in the bank. How much insurance have you got, Curly? He hasn't got any. And I'm not going to let him put it off another day. Phil, you're going to call Mr. McCauley the minute we get downstairs. Say... What are these, Phil? Letters tied with a blue ribbon. Alice, put those down. It's just some old correspondence of mine. Huh. Uh, these look like love letters, and and they are. They're from from somebody named who's Emma Jean Tussie. <laughs> oh, Alice, that's that's ancient history. She was a girl I knew casually. She didn't mean much. We sort of fooled around together for a while. <laughs> but it was never anything more than just a platonic, friendly romance. Yeah. You'll find the whole thing in the Navy records. Yeah! <laughs> Very good. Very good. Right. Who is Emma Jean Tussie? Alice, I'm telling you, she meant nothing to me. Just nothing. I don't doubt that. But I'm going to read one of these letters anyway. Alice. Listen to this. Dear Angel Hair. <laughs> I wanted you to have a picture for your wallet, so I'm enclosing a snapshot. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. Now, Alice. Oh, Phil. This is Imogene? She must weigh over 250 pounds. That's baby fat. <laughs> Just baby fat, that's all. Let me take a look at that monster. Good gosh. You know, Curly, it's things like this that are ruining our highways. Okay. <laughs> all right, now you both had your little fun. Now, will you kindly give me back my letters? I will on one condition. What's that? Well, I wasn't fooling about that insurance. You've got to get yourself insured right away, and you can't put it off any longer. Okay, okay, it's a deal. If you won't tell anybody about Imogene Tussie, I won't tell anybody you used to sing duets with Burl Ives. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Now, go on, go on downstairs and take care of that insurance. Honey, oh. it's just as good as done. <laughs> Hello, Macaulay speaking. Oh, hello, Mac. It's Phil Harris speaking. Oh, hello, Phil. How are you? Oh, fine, fine. Say, Mac, I've been looking over my papers. I got plenty of car insurance, fire insurance, stuff like that, but I don't seem to uh, have any insurance on my life. Well, I realize that, Phil, and you ought to have some. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. So uh, why don't you send me a $10,000 policy or two fives, you know, just drop it in the mail. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, Phil. We can't give out insurance like that. The company has to take into consideration the risk involved. Look, Mac, I don't drive my car fast. I don't go skiing. I don't fly no airplanes. What risk you talking about? Phil, you're still singing That's What I Like About the South. <laughs> yeah, but I do it now on a pogo stick, and I'm a tough target. <laughs> Well, Phil, if you're serious and you really want a policy, I think we can accommodate you. But with a policy of that size, you'll have to pass an examination. And uh, truthfully, it's pretty rigid. Look, I'm not worried about that. 
Look, Mac, you're forgetting. I got Indian blood in me. I come from pioneer stock. Why, my great-grandfather came across the desert on foot. In fact, he discovered the first water hole. Maybe you've been through there. It's now called Chaser, Arizona. <laughs> it's just 18 miles north of what'll you have, Nevada. <laughs> Look, Phil, I'll tell you what we'll do, just for you now. It's not usually done, but we'll send a man out to your house. And all you have to do is pass the examination and answer a few questions in our standard insurance form. Gee, that's swell, Mac. That's mighty nice of you. Goodbye. They warned me when you kissed me Your love would ricochet Your lips would find another And your heart would go astray I thought that I could hold you With all my many charms But then one day you ricocheted To someone else's arms And baby, I don't want a ricochet romance I don't want a ricochet love If you're careless with your kisses Find another turtle dove I can't live on ricochet romance No, no, not me Gonna ricochet, baby, I'm gonna set you free. I knew the day I met you, you had a roving eye. I thought that I could hold you. What a fool I was to try. You promised you'd be faithful and you would never stray. Then, like a rifle bullet, you began to ricochet. And baby, I don't want a ricochet romance, I don't want a ricochet love. If you're careless with your kisses, find another turtle dove. I can't live on ricochet romance, no, no, not me. If you're gonna ricochet, baby, I'm gonna set you free. When we announced our wedding, you made me mighty proud. I whispered to was company, but you preferred a crowd. You buzzed around the other girl, just like a busy bee. And when you finished buzzing, cousin, you buzzed right back to me. And baby, I don't want a ricochet romance, I don't want a ricochet love. If you're careless with your kisses, find another turtle dove. I can't live on ricochet romance, no, no, not me. If you're gonna ricochet, baby, I'm gonna set you free. Hey, Curly, I hate to be a killjoy, but the insurance examiner will be here this afternoon. You've been putting this exercise routine off for the last four days. For a $10,000 policy, you've got to be in the pink. Elliot, this is no major problem. Look at me. I didn't have any trouble getting into these bathing trunks. I still got a waistline, ain't I? Yeah, but everything above it is a slide area. <laughs> Look, just read the first exercise. Curly, why don't you just ad-lib the exercises? Why do you have to take them out of the Boy Scout manual? Look, them Boy Scout exercises kept me in shape when I was a kid, and they'll do the same thing for me now. Now, go ahead. Read the first exercise. Okay. Take the left leg, 
wrap it around the right leg, then pull them both up in a square knot under the whiskers. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> That's how to skin a muskrat. <laughs> I got the right page now How to keep fit physically Oh, Curly, this is a cinch for you It says start by bending your right elbow (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny, huh, Curly? No, it ain't funny Well, stop the world and I'll get off I know a nice exercise Just get into a nice reclining position Like how? Well, lie down flat Yeah Roll over on your face Okay That's it Now spread your arms straight out Like this? Yeah Now relax and get real limp Yeah, Anybody home? I brought it Hey, Mr. Harris, isn't it a little early for the cocktail hour? (laughs) (laughs) Julie, just put on a groceries What are you doing down there? None of your business Now, left leg up, left leg back. Right leg up, right leg back. Left leg up, left leg back. And that's what I call balling a jack zoo. (laughs) Look, Julius, get your business over with and beat it, will you? Now, what's the next one, Elliot? Uh, Stand up, curling. Well, that should be easy. Okay, now... Put the left hand on the left hip. Yeah. Put the right hand on the right hip. Yeah. Now, stand way up tall on your tippy toes. Now what'll I do? If you don't fly away, I'll be disappointed. (laughs) Go ahead, little birdie. We all have to leave the nest sometime. Talking, we gotta change grocery stores. Hey, what's going on here? What's the pitch, anyway? All right, if you must know, I'm getting myself in shape for an examination. I'm taking out an insurance policy on my life. Yeah, if anything happens to him, it'll be worth $10,000 to somebody. Ain't it kind of risky putting it in the form of an inducement? (laughs) Hey, Hey, wait a minute. On second thought, I'm in favor of the whole idea. You take this exam, you pass, you get a $10,000 life insurance policy, you cross Sunset Boulevard against the lights, Miss Faye inherits all the money, she waits a few days and marries me. (laughs) Golly, Miss Faye and $10,000. I can see the whole picture now. Paris in the spring, the Riviera in the summer, Monte Carlo in the fall, and back to Knott's Berry Farm for the pottery baking. I suppose he went down in the basement to punch that punching bag some more. I hope he isn't too tired so he can't take the insurance examination. This is probably the man now. Well, Phil, 
Alice. The door was locked, Mom, so I had to ring the bell. Well, uh, uh, what are you doing home so early from school? Oh, Mom, the most wonderful thing happened. The teacher is going to let me skip a grade. Really? Yes, I'm going to get a school board test this afternoon, and if I pass it, I'm going to be in the eighth grade. Oh, how wonderful. Aren't you proud? Oh, I sure am, Mom. <laughs> and the teacher said there's no telling how far I can go in school if I just get Daddy to stop helping me with my lessons. <laughs> well, Daddy does get a little mixed up on some things. Yes, I made a bad mistake in history class. Daddy told me that Columbus landed in New Orleans. Well, that's all wrong, honey. Columbus sailed for America, but his first stop was the Canary Islands. That's what I told Daddy. But he said that in New Orleans on Saturday night, everybody is a canary. <laughs> if you're going to take that test, you'd better go up to your room and brush up on your lessons a bit, huh? Yeah, I'd better. Mr. Baxter gives some pretty tough questions. Mr. Baxter? Yes, he's the man who's coming from the school board to see if I'm smart enough. Well, all right. I I'll let you know when he gets here. Okay, Mom. Well, I'd better get busy and tidy this living room up a bit if I... Hey, honey, I want to ask you something. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. What what's that you're carrying? That's a rope, Alice. Curly's skipping rope like fighters do to get in condition. It's great for improving your wind. Yeah, but I can't seem to get that rhythm. What is it that kids say when they're skipping rope? Oh, you mean one potato, two potato, three potato, four... Yeah, but what comes after that? Well, Phyllis is upstairs. Why don't you ask her? Yeah, I'll go up and ask her. See, one potato, two potatoes, three potatoes. You know, Elliot, the way Phil throws himself into these things, I sometimes wonder if he's got all his marbles. <laughs> oh, he's got them. They just all rolled over to one side. <laughs> It'll all be worthwhile if he ends up with some insurance. I'll be in the kitchen, Elliot. I've got a couple of pies in the oven. Yeah, okay, Alice. <laughs> First the tide rushes in Till it's up to your chin <laughs> I don't know who'd answer the doorbell around here if it wasn't for me. Then the tide rushes out Till it's up to your... How do you do? My name is Baxter, Horace R. Baxter. I'm here to give an examination. Oh, yeah, Curly's been expecting you. Come right in. Thank you. <laughs> Won't you step into the living room, Mr. Baxter? Oh, yes. Well, this is a cozy room. Ooh, quite a lot of books on the shelves. That's always very encouraging. May I look at some of them? Oh, sure. Hmm. What an enchanting book collection. Freddy the Frog. <laughs> Tom Swift fights the space monster. And gingerbread land with Bobo, Baba, and Boo Boo. <laughs> Who reads these books? Curly. He likes Bobo and Baba, but Boo Boo is his favorite. Because Boo Boo can touch people with his magic wand and change them into brownies. Does, uh, does this Curly believe in the little people? Believe in them? He sees them. <laughs> well, I guess you're anxious to get started with the test. I'll call him. Hey, Curly! Yeah! Hey, Curly, come on in here. Okay. 
One potato, two potato, three potato, four. Five potatoes, six potatoes, seven potato more. My mother told me to take this. Oh, oh. I, I didn't know anybody was here. I was, uh, uh, skipping my rope. <laughs> so I see. And very well, too. <laughs> oh, you think that was good? You just look at this. Ibbity bibbity stippity sap. Ibbity bibbity cannabble. <laughs> Ibbity bibbity cannabble. Yeah. You see, I knew you were coming, so I was getting ready. <laughs> You're ready. <laughs> you know, I really thought when I was sent here that I was to examine someone else. Oh, but... no, 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 no. Curly, here's the guy. He needs it. <laughs> he certainly does. <laughs> well, they've given me some strange assignments, but... Well, I have the initial right here on the questionnaire. You, you are P. Harris, aren't you? Yep. Ain't another one. <laughs> I guess we'd better start the examination. I, I had instructions to start with a more advanced test, but well, I see I'll have to revert to one more elementary. Fortunately, I have the elementary test with me. I don't want you to hold nothing back. No, don't worry, I won't. Are you ready for the first question? <clears throat> yep. Very well. What does the moo cow say? <laughs> Huh? Am, am I going too fast for you? I don't get well, the... Of course you don't. With some, it does come more slowly. Now, we'll, we'll try the second question. I'll say a word, and then you say the first word that pops into your mind. Wait a minute. What's this now, got to do? We've got to cooperate. Now, here comes the first word. Cup. Saucer. Oh, that's good. That's quite good. <laughs> Foot. Shoe. Money. Dollar. Nickel. Girl. <laughs> uh, just one moment. How could a nickel remind you of a girl? He used to go with a girl who was built like a Coca-Cola bottle. <laughs> Look, mister, I don't understand this. I didn't expect this kind of an examination. Aren't you going to listen to my heart or look at my chest or hit me on my knee with a rubber hammer? No, but later we may tap your head for echoes. <laughs> I've come up against some problem cases in my time, but this tops them all. Well, let's try one more question. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm hi, sorry. Alice. Uh, uh, mister, this is my wife. <laughs> How do you do, Mrs. Harris? I'm Mr. Baxter from the Los Angeles School Board. I'm afraid I have the unpleasant task of giving your husband the 10-year-old intelligence test, and he hasn't... Oh, dear. Mr. Baxter. Oh, Mr. Baxter. It was my daughter, Phyllis, who was supposed to get... Oh, Mr. Baxter. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's very funny, Mr. Baxter. Imagine giving me a 10-year-old intelligence test. <laughs> what does the cow say? <laughs> Now, children, quiet. Uh, children, this morning we have someone new in our class, and 
I think this is the proper time to give them a hearty welcome to the eighth grade. First, we have the little Harris girl. Are you glad to be with us, dear? Oh, yes, Mr. Stevens. I'm so thrilled that I was promoted to this class. <laughs> and now for our other new student. <laughs> well, aren't you glad to be here? Well, I, I may get used to it, but so far it's been uphill all the way. <laughs> Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. The music you hear on some radios may sound like this. But over an RCA Victor, that same music sounds like this. The reason? RCA Victor's famous golden throat. The Golden Throat is an exclusive tone system that enables an RCA Victor radio to produce the finest quality sound. And basically, sound is what you're really buying when you buy a radio. That's why it's important to get an RCA Victor. Only RCA Victor has the famous Golden Throat, your assurance of studio clear tone year after year. The proof is in the listening. Drop into your dealers tomorrow and hear his wide selections of fine radios with the Golden Throat by RCA Victor. This is Phil again. Folks, I'd like to add my bit to the many things that have been said about traffic accidents. Close to 9,000 lives were lost during 1953 in motor tragedies. Who knows how many lives could have been saved if traffic rules and speed limits had been observed. Remember this. If you gamble behind that wheel, you're betting your life. Thanks, and good night. Good night, everybody. Included in this program transcribed were Fletch Clark and Peter Lee. The part of Julius was played by Walter Tetley. This has been an NBC Radio Network presentation. That's the quartet from Rigoletto, one of the selections in a new album, Opera Without Singing, recorded by Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops Orchestra. As its name implies, this unusual album offers you a rare opportunity to hear the music of great operas without the words. Ask for this unusual RCA Victor album, Opera Without Singing, at your record dealers now. Now, hear John Cameron Swayze and the news on the NBC Radio Network. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1943-1944 season. Tonight's episode, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with in our podcast. If you like uh, podcasts where I cover a lot of ground, that's going to be this one for sure. Uh, I'll try and make it as quick as I can. I think I can cover all this fairly quickly, but it's just, I love it when serendipity kind of comes into it, and I feel like uh, just folks are speaking to me, <laughs> like uh, 
It's like I talk to dead people. No, uh, not quite. But anyway, <laughs> there was a lot of folks talking to me on this one. They're putting this together. So here we go. Uh, first off, this ha of course has Alexis Smith in this in this episode again, who was in last week's episode. She's Jack's co-star from Horn Blows at Midnight, and this takes us to our first big piece of revelation here. Uh, Horn Blows at Midnight. Uh, I've seen it on TCM and things, but it has not been available on video, at least in any kind of format that was inexpensive and well done. Uh, our friends over at Warner Archives, in their infinite wisdom, are releasing Horn Blows at Midnight. So now you can get Horn Blows at Midnight. I will do a connection to that from this podcast. If you ever want to get to my links that I put on my podcast, you just go to buckbenny.com. It'll connect you up, and there you go. So... Uh, Horn Blows at Midnight now available so you can listen to that. Tonight's episode is going to be the first mention ever of Horn Blows at Midnight. It still wouldn't come out for quite a while, but they will mention it tonight. And so I thought I'd uh, talk to you a little bit about um, at least that the, the video's released. Plus, uh, Warner Archives in their podcast, it's one of the few podcasts that I actually subscribe to, because the maniacs over at Warner Archives are as into film as I am into old-time radio, and I love to hear them just chat about all the minutiae of um, film. So if you want to listen to another great podcast, listen to Warner Archives podcast. Anyway, if you listen to tonight's whole episode after that, I'm going to play you one of Warner's um, Archives podcasts, because... On their podcast to publicize the fact that they are going to be um, having Hornblows at Midnight on DVD, they like to play sometimes old time radio shows. And so they this week decided to play Hornblows at Midnight from the Ford Theater presentation that Jack did. Just a beautiful presentation, wonderful, and in about the best sound I've ever heard it in, I think. So. Uh, after tonight's episode, that's tagged on the end, so you can hear what Warner Archives uh, podcast sounds like with their introductions and all of that. I I, I don't think they'll mind because, of course, it advertises <laughs> their uh, podcast and their DVD and so forth. So uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy that. Then uh, the other thing that they'll mention that's out as well is. Um, Jack's other, one of Jack's other big movies, um, uh, George Washington Slept Here, and that is also out from Warner Archives, which is fantastic. Their whole goal behind Warner Archives is to release um, movies that have yet to be released, and they just keep doing more and more of them. They get more and more rights to more stuff. Uh, I think they've got Republic Pictures now, and some other... Um, remember what the other one they got a few different studios that they have the rights to release their films on DVD and so it's pretty cool some of the stuff they're doing uh, that leads me to as in listening to the episode tonight I listened I heard Dennis's song and I was like wow I didn't realize he ever sang smoke gets in your eyes and it's a great song it's fun to hear Dennis do it um, that song 
doesn't sound as dated as a lot of songs um, from the era, so it's a neat one to listen to. And when I was hearing it, I was thinking to myself, what movie have I heard this song in? And it all came together, and it was always uh, one of uh, Steven Spielberg's lesser-known films, I suppose, uh, but a great film that I really, really enjoyed uh, with a young John Goodman. Uh, in it, you know, and John Goodman has a new film coming out here in a few weeks that looks really good with George Clooney, uh, Monument Man, I think it's called. Um, anyway, George Clooney's in Always. Not George Clooney's not in Always. <laughs> John Goodman's in Always. As well as Richard Dreyfuss doing a wonderful job. And uh, just a great film if you haven't never had a chance to see it. Uh, anyway, that film also has um, Audrey Hepburn in her final screen appearance before she died. Uh, so that's kind of a treat if you want to watch the film always. I believe it came out in 1989. Very enjoyable film. Well, as I was reading about that film, it started talking about how Spielberg had modeled it after a film that he loved, his favorite film as a child. And his favorite film was A Guy Named Joe from 1943. We go back to around our time frame again, uh, back here 70 years ago. And uh, A Guy Named Joe was a similar film to Always, similar plot. It just took place in World War II instead of uh, 1989. And uh, was a film that... Uh, starred Van Johnson and Spencer Tracy, uh, Irene Dunn. Uh, it also had Esther Williams in it in a small role, so uh, it sounds like it's a great film. And of course, in checking out that film and seeing where it was available, of course, it happened to, with Serendipity be coming out from who? Yes, Warner Archives. So uh, I will also connect you up to that film. Um, I will make connections to all four of these films, so that if you want to check them out or read about them, you can. Um, you certainly can uh, purchase any of them that you wish. I do not work for Warner Archives. I have no connection to Warner Archives whatsoever. I just really like what they're doing. And if I was going to release films, I would do it the way they're doing it. I love that they're releasing them, have a podcast to support it where they talk about it. Uh, just delightful. Uh, certainly, if you listen to me talk on Tuesday's Jack Benny show, I talked about the the two Jimmy Stewart um, series, television series that they had released, and both of those are also on Warner Archives. So Warner Archives is pretty cool. And those two series, just in case you didn't tune in, were Jimmy Stewart's The Jimmy Stewart Show from 1972, and I think from 1974, Hawkins, which is his kind of mystery um, series that you might want to catch sometime. Anyway, I think I covered all the ground I wanted to cover tonight. Um, just was was delighted with how one thing led to another. So I hope you enjoy Jack and the Gang tonight and get our first mention of, of course, Horn Blows at Midnight, and then we get Jack appearing on Ford's theater presentation of Horn Blows at Midnight for you to listen to as well. So, fun podcast tonight. Enjoy. 
The Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes program, coming to you from the Army Airfield at Muroc, California, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Did you ever hear of the forgotten meal? Well, to all too many people, that spells breakfast. Yes, all too many people give breakfast the brush off, sort of take it on the sip and run. Now, that's wrong. Nutrition experts tell us breakfast is the most important meal of the day, the time to stoke up after a fast of 10 or 12 hours. And these same experts tell us the adequate breakfast should include a cereal with whole grain nourishment. Well, both Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes are cram full of energy-giving, body-building, whole grain nourishment. And these two delicious cereals have that one and only malty-rich flavor. Grape Nuts Crisp and Crunchy, Grape Nuts Flakes, Tempting Toasty Brown Flakes. So don't let breakfast be the forgotten meal at your home. Eat a good breakfast, do a better job. Serve thrifty, nutritious Grape Nuts or Grape Nuts Flakes every morning. Tonight, we're broadcasting from the Army Airfield located on the dry lake at Muroc, California. <laughs> and we'd like to show you how Jack and the gang made the trip up here. So let's go back a few hours and pick up Jack and Rochester at the house. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Bye, 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 baby. Your papa's going up to the Muroc camp. <laughs> Rochester. Don't cry, baby. Don't sigh, baby. Bye, 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 baby. They got a lake up there and it ain't even damp. <laughs> Rochester. We like to travel and entertain the boys. If they don't like us, they stick out their tongues and make a certain noise. Rochester. Oh, shoo, 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 birdie. Rochester. When I call you, answer me. Sorry, boss. I was just carried away by my soft, tender voice. <laughs> well, take off that bow tie. You're not making me swoon. Now, stop it. I don't say things like that when you play your violin. You don't have to. When I play my violin, I really put something in it. I don't know what you put in it, but what comes out is for it. <laughs> Never mind that. Now, Rochester... The bus will be here any minute to take us to the camp. Have you got everything ready? Yes, sir. I packed your shoes, your ties, your shirts, your snuggies, your radio, your pipe, your hot water bottle, your skis, your bath mat, your ashtray, your bridge... Rochester, I'm going to Muroc to entertain, not to enlist. <laughs> my goodness. Well, all I know is what happened to my cousin. What happened? He went to a camp to entertain. They gave him a gun and booked him into Guadalcanal. Your cousin? Yeah. Japan don't know it, but the rising sun's gonna be hidden by a dark cloud. <laughs> oh. Oh, 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 oh. Well, anyway, Rochester, I think we ought to... 
Oh, there's the bus. Okay, okay, we're coming. Come on, Rochester. Hey, let's get a move on. Okay, okay, driver. Well, it's about time, Bifogles. <laughs> so what if it is? Say, driver, did you pick up anyone else in our party yet? Yeah, Don Wilson. He's sitting right in the middle of the bus. He is? Yeah, this greyhound wasn't sway back when I started. <laughs> <laughs> what an animal! <laughs> Yeah, it does sag a little, doesn't it? Huh? Oh, hello, Don. Hiya, Jack. Hello, Rochester. Hello, Miss Wilson. Say, Jack, uh, what kind of a camp are we going to? Well, it's the Army Airfield at Murat. And you know, Don, there's a very exclusive place to eat there. Ma Greens. What a place. That is. <laughs> Wonderful food. All right, driver, let's get going. We have to pick up Phil Harris uh, at uh, 619 Spring Valley. Rochester, you sit here. Okay. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Bye, 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 baby. Your papa's going... Here you are, Blue Eyes. 619 Spring Valley. Smart guy. Phil told me he'd be waiting in front of his house. Driver, give him the horn. I can't. It belongs to the company. Ah! <laughs> now cut that out. Or go back to Alan. Now just blow the horn. Oh, Phil! <laughs> Phil Harris! I guess he can't hear me. Rochester, you call. Okay. Call for Philip Harris! Phil! Phil was supposed to be ready when the bus arrived. I've told him time and again when we make these trips to curl his hair the night before. <laughs> Darn it. Maybe it did, boss, and got it mussed up while he was sleeping. Well, maybe. You know, he can't take it off like you do. <laughs> Rochester, when I go to bed, I don't take my hair off. Well, you should. Every morning we have to shake out the blankets to find it. <laughs> Rochester, if you don't stop making up things like that, I'll get... Well, here I am, Jackson, ready to go. It's about time, Phil. It's about time. Hey, Phil, what kept you so long? Well, guys, Jackson, I had to say goodbye to Alice before I could leave the house. Hey, are you married to Alice Faye? Yeah. What do you want to leave the house for? <laughs> Look at driver, stop being so comical. Just drive, will you? Okay, okay. Our next stop is 360 North Camden Drive. We have to pick up Miss Livingston. Okay, okay. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Bye, 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 baby. Do you hope that we don't get a letter? Stop singing and get me to Miss Livingston's house. <laughs>
shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. I was waiting for you. Well, are you all ready? Uh-huh. Say, Jack, do you notice anything? Oh, yeah. You're wearing a new dress. Boy, that sure is a glamorous outfit. Thanks. Do you think the soldiers will like it on me? Mary, they'd like that dress on a second lieutenant. <laughs> or Harold Irwin. Anybody. Now, come on, let's, let's... Let's get going. Okay. Say, Jack, are we going up to Muroc to visit the soldiers? Yes, why? <laughs> well, there's a switch if I ever heard one. Mary, you always talk about going out with soldiers, and the minute one of them asks you for a date, you run home looking for your mother. Well, they always ask me to bring a friend. What are you talking about? The soldiers wouldn't go out with your mother. Go on two weeks in Muroc, and they'd go out with you. Well, it is a little dusty here, I'll admit. <laughs> I'm not, though. Now, let's... <laughs> oh, brother. Now, let's, let, let's go or we'll be late. Uh, just a second, Jack. I want to go out in the kitchen and speak to Butterfly. She's taking the rest of the day off. Okay. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, bye, 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 baby. Your mama's going down to Central Avenue. Butterfly? Butterfly, what are you doing? I'm cleaning out the icebox. Oh, why didn't you do it last night? I wasn't hungry then. Now, make it, uh, make it snappy, will you, Mary? Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, Butterfly. Mr. Benny, I wanted to tell you that I certainly enjoyed your program last week. Oh, was that the first time you heard it? No, that was the first time I missed it. <laughs> hmm, well, that's... That's not much of a compliment, Butterfly. Oh, I meant that Miss Livingston brought the radio script home and I read it. Oh, I see. I've been reading it every day this week, and gee, <laughs> it so is funny. Well, thanks. Butterfly, did you like that joke about Miss Livingston going up in an airplane? You know, the one on page two? Oh, I haven't got that far yet. <laughs> I see. Well, we're going now, Butterfly, and I hope you enjoy your day off. Thank you. Uh, what are you going to do? Well, you know my boyfriend, my soldier boyfriend, Jerome? He's coming in from camp. He is? Yes. <laughs> I hope he proposes to me tonight. Well, there's, <laughs> there's only one sure way, Butterfly. Act hard to get. But, Mr. Benny, he only has a three-hour pass. <laughs> Oh, I see. Come on, Mary. They're waiting for us. Goodbye, Butterfly. Goodbye. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Bye, bye, bye. Say, Jackson, have I got a surprise for the gang this week. When we get up to the camp, my band's going to play some of that classical music. You know, that long-haired stuff. Phil, don't start anything you can't finish, will you, please? <laughs> what are you talking about? I studied music. You studied music? Yeah. It took you two years to learn how to tap your foot. <laughs> you wouldn't have learned that if it hadn't been cold. 
He he knows the classics. Well, I do. Ask me a question. Go ahead, ask me. All right. Do you know anything about Beethoven's fifth? Listen, Jackson, anything that comes in fifths or pints, I know about. <laughs> That's what I thought. Phil, when we get to Muroc, just play the one number you know and keep your fingers crossed. What a guy. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Bye, 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 baby. Your papa. Mary, off. stop with that song, will you? I'm sick of it. Well, I'm sick of Love and Bloom, too. Every time you go to a camp, you play it on your violin. The boys send in requests. I know, but you play it anyway. <laughs> I play it because... Hey, driver! Driver! Yeah, son? <laughs> pull, pull up to the right. There's Dennis Day's house. Okay. You better double park the bus. There's no room there. Oh, I can get in between those two cars. I parked in a smaller space yesterday. Okay. Driver, are you sure you parked in a smaller place yesterday? Yeah, but now that I think of it, I was on a bicycle. <laughs> well, that that does make a difference. Now, uh, now blow the horn, will you? Oh, Dennis, coming, mother. <laughs> Dennis. Oh. Now hurry up, kid. Take it easy. You don't have to run. Dennis, look out. Hmm. Hello, Mr. Benny. What's new? Dennis, didn't you hurt yourself? Oh, no. I trip over our garden hose every day. Well, why don't you take it off the path and put it on the lawn? Well, why should I go out of my way to trip over it? Well, that's the silliest thing I ever heard. Come on, get on the bus. Hello, fellas. Oh, hello, hello, kid. Hello, hello, Dennis. What a coincidence. What is? Seeing so many people I know on the same bus. <laughs> yes, it's a small world, isn't it, kid? Okay, driver, let's go. Say, Dennis. Yes, please? What number are you going to do on the program today? I thought I'd sing Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Oh, yes, the boys will like that. Better rehearse it in the, in the bus, will you, Dennis? Okay. Could doubt my love. 
That was swell, and the boys at Muroc will love that song. Your voice sounded like a million dollars. That's what makes me mad. Why? You get it for practically nothing. <laughs> Quiet, Dennis. You're doing all right. Now, driver, make a left turn at the next corner and go to 2833 North Locket. Okay, baby, okay. Say, Jack, the cast is all here. Who are you picking up? I'm taking Alexa Smith with us. Alexa Smith? She was with us last week at the Marine base. I know, Mary, but we're going to an army camp today, and the soldiers like to look at a pretty girl. Well, what do you think I am, a G.I. hamburger? <laughs> Mary, I meant that with both you and Alexis there, the soldiers would see two pretty girls. <laughs> it would be a novelty. You want to show them a novelty, let them look at you, a sad sack civilian. <laughs> Don't be sarcastic. Anyway, I was in uniform in the last war. Gee, I didn't know they had wax then. <laughs> Dennis, I wasn't a whack. I was in the Navy. Oh, a wave. <laughs> I was a sailor. Now, let's forget it. That's what the Navy's trying to do. <laughs> oh, stop. And, Jack, you still haven't told us why you're taking Alexa Smith with us today. Because, Mary, she's the leading lady of the new picture I'm making at Warner Brothers. What's the name of it, Jackson? The horn blows at midnight. The horn blows at midnight? Yes. A.M. or P.M.? <laughs> well, if it's midnight, how could it be A.M. or P.M.? Listen, Jackson, I just get the laughs. I don't explain them. <laughs> because you don't understand them. Hey, driver, three more blocks, and it's the corner house on the left. Hokey, hokey, pokey! Oh, we don't get that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we don't get that guy on the next trip Rochester, uh, give me my box of cigars, will you? Here you are Thank you There Oh, boss, this is Sunday Why don't you start a fresh one? <laughs> this one's, this one's only half gone now, uh, put the box away. Okay. Shoo, 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 baby. Shoo, 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 baby. Bye, 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 baby. Rochester, will you please stop singing that song? It drives me nuts. Chew, 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 grape nuts. Eat, 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 grape nuts. Yum, 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 grape nuts. Your papa's off to get the sugar and cream. Well, the words are different anyway. Now, Bob... Crunch, 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 grape nuts. Oh, munch, brother. munch, munch, grape nuts. Ooh. Eat a bunch, bunch, grape nuts. There's a malty rich flavor in your grape nuts flakes. Pa! Very good, Don. Very, very good, Don. Oh, driver. Yes, 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 Pappy. Yes, 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 Pappy. Now cut that out. And pull over to the left. This is Miss Smith's house. I can park between those two cars. <laughs> Never mind. Just wait right here. 
Driver, you didn't have to blow the horn. I'm going in and get her. You're not fooling us, Jack. The only reason you're taking Alexis Smith to the camp is so you can get to kiss her. That's not the reason at all. Then how come every time her name is mentioned, your lips pucker up? <laughs> they do not. Hey, here comes Alexis now. Yeah, where is she? <laughs> Oh, hello, Alexis. Hello, Jack. Hop right in. Hello, Alexis. Hello, Alexis. Let's see. Hello. Hello. Well, Alexis, we had a lot of fun at the last camp, but I'm sure glad you're coming up to Muroc with us. Oh, is that where we're going? Yeah, and believe me, the soldiers there will be glad to see you. Why? <laughs> Why? Hmm. Holy smoke, even I know the answer to that. <laughs> Well, the kid's getting smart. Uh, say, Alexis... They want her autograph. <laughs> Quiet. Uh, say, Alexis, besides doing our broadcast at the camp, we're going to do an extra show. And that's when you and I will do a love scene from our new picture. You know, where I kiss you. Now, wait a minute, Jack. Are you bringing me up there to entertain the soldiers or you? The soldiers, of course. Well, unpucker, we've still got 60 miles to go. <laughs> I'm only rehearsing, kid. Anyway, Alexis, remember, we do our program first, then later on, we'll do the love scene. You better do the love scene first. You're not getting any younger, you know. <laughs> Mary, you keep out of it. After all, I've done love scenes with big stars before. You know, Alexis, I made a picture called George Washington Slept Here, and my leading lady was Anne Sheridan. I know, Jack. Annie told me all about you and your acting. Oh, really? Uh, what, uh, what did she say? Well... Go ahead, tell me. I won't get conceited. I guarantee you won't. <laughs> now, Alexis, stop teasing. Tell me, what did Anne Sheridan say? Well, um, Annie said there was no question about your acting ability. Uh-huh. But if there was a question, she was too much of a, a lady, lady to, to answer. answer. <laughs> I know. But I don't, I don't quite understand, Alexis. Well, look, Jack. I saw you in that picture, and all the time you were making love to Anne, you were looking right into the camera. I was? Yes. I had a feeling your option was hanging on the lens. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it was. Say, Alexis, let's rehearse the love scene we're going to do at the camp. You know, where I'm going away. Oh, yes. Uh, the one where you leave me and kiss me goodbye, isn't it? Yes. Then I discover I forgot my hat, so I come back to the house. Oh. I get my hat and I kiss you goodbye again. But, Jack, in that scene, you're only supposed to kiss me goodbye once. Well, I rewrote it a little. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I get my hat, and this time, when I kiss you, I completely lose my head. Then you won't need your hat. <laughs> Mary. You see, Alexis, I've got the scene rewritten so it has a sustaining interest. When I go out, I kiss you goodbye. Then you go out and you kiss me goodbye. Then for a change of pace, we both go out and we kiss each other goodbye. But, Jack, instead of all this kissing, why don't we just stay in and play a game of gin rummy? Well, uh, I want a little excitement. So do I. <laughs> well, thanks. Come on, Alexis, let's rehearse the scene. All right. Now, this is the way we'll do it at the camp. <clears throat> you remember the one. Oh, yes. <clears throat> ah, my darling, I must leave you now. 
I'm going to Lancaster for a small Coke. <laughs> Just a touch of cherry. Don't leave me, Felix. Felix? <laughs> Not tonight. Tonight of all nights. This is our anniversary. You can't leave me, Clap Saddle. <laughs> Clap saddle. This will be the first time we've been apart. Don't go, Albatross. <laughs> Albatross, Alexis, stop changing my name. When she gets a jerk, she'll stick to it. <laughs> Mary. Mary, leave us alone. There's a magazine on that seat next to you. Pick it up and read it, will you? Where? Oh, Liberty, I haven't seen it this week. Good. Oh, my sweet. Yes, Clearwater? <laughs> you know that I don't want to go. You're all that I live for. You're the guiding light in everything I do. You're the sunshine that brightens my drab existence. And Mary, if you turn to page 16, there's a story about me. It tells about my career and my home life and how generous I am. What a hit I was in vaudeville and pictures and on the radio. And what a great guy I am. Jack, who are you in love with, me or you? <laughs> oh, oh, pardon me, Alexis. Where were we? We just passed Ma Green's. <laughs> I didn't mean that. You were just about to kiss her, dope. I was? Oh, yes, I remember. Let's go on, Alexis. I must go now. I must go. <laughs> I must go now, darling. Kiss me. <laughs> Well, how was that? Pew, 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 baby. Pew, pew, pew Mary, baby. I didn't mess you. You always had the fun. When you think of the word affinitives, what does that call to your mind? Romeo and Juliet, Hero and Leander, Priscilla and John Alden? Okay. But tonight I'm thinking of another kind of perfect mating one you meet up with at the breakfast table every morning. That's a whole grain cereal, such as Molly Rich Grape Nuts Flakes and milk. Boy, for swell taste, you simply can't beat a big bowl of crisp, toasty brown Grape Nuts Flakes and milk. You bet not. And now, dietitian experts explain why, nutritionally speaking, these two are made for each other, because each enhances the food value of the other. Grape Nuts Flakes are teeming with whole grain nourishment, including iron, niacin, and vitamin B1. Milk supplies more proteins, carbohydrates, and other essentials to complement the food values of the cereal. Together, they make a perfectly balanced dish. So folks, whether or not you have to manage with less milk than usual, remember this. Your milk will do double nutritional duty when you serve it with delicious whole grain grape nuts flakes. Thank you, Colonel Gore, and all you boys here at Muroc for another swell day. I also want to thank Alexis Smith, whom you will soon see in The Adventures of Mark Twain. And folks, before I say goodnight, please remember the March of Dimes and the Fourth War Loan Drive. It's so important now. Good night, everybody. Hot Grape Nuts Wheat Meal. Hooray, what a treat. Delicious, nutritious, and so good to eat. And if you are thrifty and if you are wise, get the giant new package economy size. That's Hot Grape Nuts Wheat Meal in the time-saving, money-saving new big economy package. 30 full ounces, more cereal for your money. 
you can't beat that luscious roasted wheat flavor, that full-bodied texture, that real whole wheat nourishment. Get hot grape nuts wheat meal in the new economy package. The origination of this program from the Army Airfield at Muroc, California, does not constitute an endorsement of the product advertised. This is the National Broadcasting Company. KFI, Los Angeles. It's time for another trip into the golden history of Hollywood and another podcast from the Warner Archive Collection. I'm George Feldenstein, and I'm proud to be your host for this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Warner Archive Collection is proud to bring a legendary cinematic masterpiece to DVD for the very first time. Director Raoul Walsh's comedy, The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny. Well, if I were to call this a cinematic masterpiece, I'd be exaggerating just a little bit because this is a very broad comedy that was the subject of some derision during Jack Benny's radio career. People would make fun of The Horn Blows at Midnight. But in truth, it's a very screwball kind of comedy that has developed over the years as a true classic. And we've remastered it and brought it to DVD for the very first time. The Horn Blows at Midnight co-stars Alexis Smith, and is now available on DVD by going to our website, warnerarchive.com. Today, we're going to remember The Horn Blows at Midnight by bringing you a radio version of the film as it was performed on radio by the star himself, Mr. Jack Benny, along with someone who wasn't in the movie, but was certainly a favorite at Warner Brothers, Mr. Claude Rains. So Jack Benny and Claude Rains starred together in the radio version of The Horn Blows at Midnight that aired on CBS on March 4th, 1949. The program in which you heard The Horn Blows at Midnight, if you were listening to CBS in 1949, and some of you might have been, that series was called Ford Theater. We also want to remind you that another Jack Benny Warner favorite, George Washington Slept Here, is also making its DVD debut. So make sure you go to our website and check out The Horn Blows at Midnight and George Washington Slept Here. But now let's sit back, relax, travel back to March of 1949 as the Ford Theater brings you Jack Benny and Claude Rains in The Horn Blows at Midnight. Here with Mr. Jack Benny in a highly unusual fantasy about an angel who was sent down from higher places to destroy the earth. A story which contains more than first meets the ear. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Benley finally got here. And tonight we present him with Mr. Claude Rains in, of all things, The Horn Blows at Midnight. This is the Ford Theater. Welcome to a full hour of the finest dramatic entertainment with celebrated stars of Broadway and Hollywood. Presented by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Ford cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, Lincoln and Mercury cars, including the new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, America's most distinctive fine car, unrivaled for superb performance and luxurious appointments. Now to introduce this evening's program, here is the director of the Ford Theater, Fletcher Markle. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, all disputes, all threats, pleadings, persuasions, and all kidding aside, we're proud and pleased to welcome to the Ford Theater one of the great comedians of the world, Mr. Jack Benny. <laughs> co-starring with Mr. Benny in the long-heralded Horn Blows at Midnight, we're very happy to have with us one of the most accomplished actors of Broadway and Hollywood, 
Mr. Claude Rains. This is the second program, by the way, in our Festival of Smiles, which concludes next week with Mr. Bing Crosby. The theme of the Warner Brothers picture on which tonight's broadcast is based caused much comment when it was released some seasons ago. Being a fantasy having to do with the destruction of the Earth, the picture clearly raised a controversial issue. And we of the Ford Theater firmly believe that while a radio version of The Horn Blows at Midnight will not end any arguments, it will at least add zest to them. So come with us beyond the Earth's atmosphere on counted light years through space to a place very high above us, the office of the Chief of the Small Planets, an important executive in the system of the universe. You'll be hearing Claude Rains as the Chief with Mr. Benny as a minor angel named Nathaniel. And, of course, any similarity between these characters and any characters living is quite impossible. (laughs) Mr. Benny, Mr. Rains, and company, please to begin. Horatio, I tell you, something has to be done about it. Here it is, 1949... And that dreadful little planet is worse off than it ever was. What's the name of it again? Number 33974. It is called Earth. Oh, yes. Nasty little globe. It's always giving me trouble, but now it's absolutely out of hand. Two world wars, persecution, hatred everywhere. Greed, intolerance, bloodshed. I'm just about fed up. What are you going to do, Chief? I'm going to destroy it, Horatio. I'm going to wipe it off the face of the... Uh, uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to destroy it. Without any warning? Well, the front office has warned them often enough. Quakes, floods, droughts, plagues, everything. But they pay no attention. Those Earth people aren't satisfied with making a mess of their own planet. Why, they're even working on rockets to get to the moon. What do they want up there, Chief? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're overloaded with the Ritz crackers and they believe that stuff about the moon being made of green cheese. <laughs> I'll bust for Elizabeth, my secretary. I'm going to settle this once and for all. Did you ring, Chief? Yes, come in, Elizabeth. I want you to take down some notes. I'm destroying one of the smaller planets, and I want you to send copies to the recording angel. Uh-oh. What's the matter? It won't make a hit with the recording department. They're swamped with work. Oh, it's always something. What's their complaint? Same old thing. Shortage of angel power. I'm drawing up a new personnel questionnaire. Another one? Hmm. More red tape. I never saw such incompetence, such inefficiency. You know, this place needs a few big businessmen to run things up here. We need them. And they better start letting them in. That's all I've got to say. What planet are you destroying, Chief? 33974. It's called Earth. Earth? Well, that was created rather hurriedly, as I remember. Yes, it was a six-day job. (laughs) Practically slapped together. Well, I'm going to slap it apart. How are you going to do it, Chief? Well, usually our demolition expert descends, blows his horn, and poof. Just poof? Well, for some of the larger jobs, it's poof, poof. (laughs) But this happens to be a one-poof planet. Anyway, our demolition expert is busy on another assignment, and I'll have to find someone else. Elizabeth, who would you suggest? What about Nathaniel? Nathaniel? That nincompoop, that blundering nitwit? (laughs) He's not a nincompoop, and he's not a nitwit either. And you shouldn't call him those names, Chief. Remember, he's an angel. Some angel. I don't see how he ever got his wings. (laughs) Elizabeth, what do you see in him anyway? Well, he's sweet and kind and understanding, and he plays the trumpet beautifully. That's right. 
He does play, doesn't he? He's been 455th trumpet in the Ethereal Philharmonic Orchestra for over 300 years. Then he certainly ought to be able to blow the horn. Go fetch him, Elizabeth. I will, Chief, immediately. He's rehearsing with the orchestra now. Nathaniel, please. Once again, gentlemen, and all together this time. Step up here, please. Yes, Mr. Beethoven. <laughs> uh, what is it, sir? For 120 years I've been conducting this orchestra. And for 120 years you've been playing the wrong notes. Why? Tell me why. Well, it's, it's a hard number and it takes practice. I'm sure I'll get it if you'll just be patient a little while longer. A little while longer? Yeah, besides, what's the rush? We're not going anywhere. <laughs> what has that got to do with it? We've got 10,000 men in this orchestra, 9,999 musicians, and you. Huh? Why did you have to take up the trumpet? With lips like yours, you should be a glass blower. A glass blower? Yeah, I tried that when I was on Earth. But one day, instead of blowing, I inhaled. <laughs> Then I had to walk around with a sign on my back, marked Fragile. <laughs> Look, Nathaniel, I don't care what happened to you on Earth. I only care what happens to me up here. Now go back to your place and please don't be flat. But, Mr. Beethoven, the music says B flat, doesn't it? That doesn't mean you should be flat. That means play B flat. Oh, oh I wish I'd have known that a hundred years ago. <laughs> Could have saved so much trouble. All right, Mr. Beethoven, I promise you. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! Huh? Oh, hello, Elizabeth. I have wonderful news for you. The chief wants to see you. The chief? Is there something wrong? What do I do now? Oh, Nathaniel, don't be silly. You couldn't do anything wrong. Oh, no? You don't think so? Stay around and listen to him play the trumpet. It's better he should have the mute in his mouth. I don't use a mute. I use a derby. Gee, Elizabeth, I'm so excited. Imagine the chief wanting to see me. How do I look? Fine, fine. I'm so nervous. Is my halo on straight? Oh, it's perfect. Now, come on. Don't keep him waiting. All right. Will you excuse me, Mr. Beethoven? With pleasure. All right, gentlemen. Now we can play. Elizabeth, it's been so long since I've seen the chief, I, I won't know how to act. Just be yourself, and don't let him frighten you. If he seems gruff, it's only because he's terribly busy, like all the other deputy chiefs. He has billions of small planets to look after. I know, what a job that must be, keeping them in their own orbits. Well, we're almost there, and I'm so nervous. Hello, Elizabeth! Hello, Daniel! Hello, Hello. Paul! 
Yeah, it's a beautiful horse Mr. Revere rides. I wonder why he still carries those two lanterns. Nathaniel, you can ask him later. We haven't got time now. The chief is waiting. Oh. uh... Horatio, you may not realize it, but getting rid of the earth will be a big help in balancing the budget. Think of all the rain and snow we'll save. Yes, that is a native. And don't forget the thunder and lightning that little planet uses up. Why, we'll cut our electric bills in half. And, oh, uh, by the way, Horatio, remind me to talk to Halley about his comet. There's no point to its traveling around the earth anymore. Uh, Yes, Chief. Oh, here comes Elizabeth with Nathaniel. Yeah, about time. Let him in. Here's Nathaniel, Chief. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, He hasn't changed a bit. Oh, well... Nathaniel, how long have you been up here? Uh, 300 years, Chief. I'm from New Amsterdam, you know. Hmm. Hmm. What's your rank? Angel, junior grade, third phalanx, 15th cohort. (laughs) Still junior grade, eh? I don't know why I sent for you. Was it possibly about changing my rank, sir? No, no. I see no reason for demoting you. Thank you, Chief. I've been going over your record, and it's not too bad. It says here, deportment B, application B, virtue A, mentality. Well, this job doesn't require a genius anyway. (laughs) You'll do. Do what, sir? Do what? Destroy planet number 33974. 33974? Why, that's Earth, my home planet. What will all the people do without it? Where will they live? Well, some of them will come up here, and some of them will go to the other place. We have no time for sentiment. But, Chief, why are you destroying the Earth? Why? Simply because there's been nothing but trouble there. Now that the Second World War is over, it's in a bigger mess than it ever was. No peace, no harmony, no cooperation. If they want to end civilization, I'll end it for them. Elizabeth? Yes, Chief? See to the fan who wears his proper clothes for a visit to the Earth. You can attend to all that. Yes, I will, Chief. Gee, it'll be nice wearing buckled shoes and long stockings again. I still have good-looking legs, you know. Nathaniel, men's styles have changed on Earth since you were there 300 years ago. They have? Women's, too? Oh, yes, many times. But now they have the new look, and they're right back to where they used to be. Oh. Well, don't men wear long stockings anymore? Oh, no. But don't worry, Nathaniel. Your knees will be covered. You'll wear long trousers. Why can't I just wear my toga? I'm so used to it now. Because, my dear Nathaniel, you don't, we don't want you to be conspicuous. You've got an important job to do. Oh. Well, Chief, how do I go about destroying the Earth? Horatio, hand me that horn. Yes, Chief. Here you are, sir. Now, Nathaniel, you simply blow four notes of the Judgment Day Overture on this horn, and that will be the end of the Earth. Gee, it's the most beautiful trumpet I've ever seen. It is not a trumpet. Oh. It's a very special kind of horn. Now, listen carefully to these instructions. You'll proceed to New Amsterdam. It's called New York now, Chief. Oh, New York, then. Mercurius will arrange for your transportation. You will then check into the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel, and a few minutes before midnight, you will go to the roof. Yes, sir. Now, this is very important, Nathaniel. The horn must be blown at midnight sharp. Yes, sir. Remember, that means precisely 12. 11.59 won't do. 12.01 won't do. It must be 12 on the dot. Got that? Yes, sir. I'll see that the horn blows at midnight. (laughs) Leave it to me. All right, now get going. If you do a good job, when you come back, you may find yourself an angel senior grade. Me, an angel senior grade? That means a raise in my base pay. God. (laughs) But if you botch the job, you'll be back scrubbing clouds for the next 500 years. Yeah, I hope not. My knees are still wet. But don't worry, Chief. I won't botch it. I'll make good. That's the spirit. Now, are you ready to, uh, 
The interplanetary phone chief. Department of Small Planets. Chief speaking. This is the salvage department. Any instructions, chief? Yes. Stand by to pick up a load of scrap at midnight. Hmm. That'll be all, Nathaniel. Are you sure you remember everything? Don't worry, Chief. I won't forget a thing. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Come back here. You forgot the horn. Oh, that's because I'm so excited. Well, goodbye, Chief. Goodbye. Elizabeth, you stay with him until he leaves. See that he gets away in time. Yes, Chief. Come along, Nathaniel. I'll walk you to the edge. I'm going to miss you, Nathaniel. You are, Elizabeth? Yes. Well, I'll only be gone. Hello, Nathaniel. Oh, hello, Noah. Going away? Yes, but I'll be home tomorrow. <laughs> well, when you get back, drop in. I'm having a little gathering in the ark. In the ark? Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. Who's coming over? Oh, just a few couples. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. I'll see you later. Da 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 ding. Da 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 ding. What are we talking about, Elizabeth? I said that I was going to miss you. Oh, well, I'll only be gone one night, and then I'll come back, and we can spend the next hundred years together. Just talking about my trip. Gee, these earth clothes are funny. What do you call this again? That's a vest. And is this a doublet? No, that's a coat. Oh. But what is this label? I wouldn't want to wear someone else's clothes. Who are Hart, Scheffner, and Mark? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, Nathaniel. And by the way, I'd better give you some money. Here. What are these? Gilders? No, these are dollar bills. Oh. Well, I wouldn't know about that. (laughs) Gee, they feel nice and crispy. And these are $5 bills. Oh, I like these better. They feel even nicer and crispier. Look at the pictures on them. George is on one and Abe is on the other. Yes. Yes, you'll need them, Nathaniel. And now you'd better go. I'm on my way, Elizabeth. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! That's the chief. Gosh, I hope he isn't calling me back. Nathaniel, I'm glad I caught you before you left. There's one very important thing I forgot to tell you. What is it, chief? Before you blow that horn, be sure to check with Petrillo. I don't want any trouble with him. (laughs) Oh, I will, chief. I will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Nathaniel. Goodbye. Watch that first step. It's a pip. I will. I will. See you tomorrow. You're listening to the Ford Theater, which tonight is bringing you Jack Benny, starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight with Claude Rains. A brief pause now before Act Two, and some timely hints on car values from Frank Martin. There's an exciting time in store for many of you in the coming week that can make a world of difference in the pride and enjoyment you get out of motoring. That's the time which your Lincoln dealer invites you to spend behind the wheel of a new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, America's most distinctive fine car. And in just a few miles, you'll discover why the Lincoln Cosmopolitan has no rival. You'll see at first glance that here is an automobile truly distinctive, exclusive in its styling with lines and looks that lift it apart from every other car on the road. You'll recognize as you sink back into the soft foam rubber cushion seats that no other car offers a more luxurious interior, more elegant interior refinements. You'll feel rich custom upholstery. You'll discover unhampered visibility through the huge one-piece windshield of curved safety glass that is almost five feet wide. You will whisk the windows up and down at the mere touch of a button. And as you drive this outstanding 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, you'll discover performance 
that you have never before known in a fine car. For the great new Lincoln V-Type 8 engine is unsurpassed for dependability, economy, and efficiency. It's so powerfully smooth, so thrillingly quiet, so effortless in its range of acceleration. You can't believe it until you drive the new Lincoln Cosmopolitan. In all the world, there is no other fine car so beautifully new, so thoroughly owner-proven, so superbly engineered as this new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan. Yet it costs very, very little more to own than an ordinary car. Take just a few minutes in the coming week, or even better, tomorrow, to accept your Lincoln dealer's invitation to meet this superb 1949 automobile, the new Lincoln Cosmopolitan. You know you're driving America's most distinctive fine car, and so does the rest of the world when you drive the new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan. Now again, Fletcher Markle. And here's the second act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel with Claude Rains as the chief of the small planet. Now, Nathaniel, having arrived in New York City, is strolling down Broadway with the horn tucked under his arm. Since it was 300 years ago that he last saw this famous street, it's small wonder that he marvels at the changes. So this is New York. I wonder why they changed the name. Look at that sign over there. Baseball today. Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Well, I guess it does sound better than New Amsterdam Yankees. <laughs> Gosh, this place certainly is built up. I wish Peter Stuyvesant could see it. How they laugh when we bought Manhattan Island for $24. I bet we could double our money now. My, what big buildings. I never saw so many horseless carriages. Look at those yellow ones. See, they go around the corner on two wheels. I wonder if they could... Get back on the coin, you jerk. You wanted to kill No, thank you. Not again. <laughs> the records would be all mixed up. Hey, Doesn't mister. It? You better wait for the light to change before you cross the street. Light? Light to change? Sure. You must be a stranger. Ain't you never been in New York before? Oh, yes, yes. I come from New York. But I've been away for a long time. Say, that's a good-looking trumpet you got there. Yeah. How about giving us a little bebop? Bebop? Yeah. Is that bebop or rebop? Bebop or... Is that music? Is it? It's out of this world. Well, that's where I've been, and I've never heard of it. <laughs> Bebop a rebop. What band are you with? Uh, Beethoven's Ethereal Melodians. It's a very fine orchestra. Ten thousand pieces. Ten thousand? Gee, they must sound louder than Spike Jones. Spike who? Jones. Didn't you ever hear him play All I Want for Christmas is my two front teeth? No, but it sounds like a very interesting selection. I'll suggest it to Mr. Beethoven. Beethoven, huh? Yes, I play 455th trumpet. I've been playing it for nearly 300 years. Hey, Johnny, this guy must be a little what's name, like a fruitcake. Uh, what's your name, Methuselah? No, no, but I know him very well. <laughs> I, in fact, I went to his birthday party last month and he had the biggest cake. Took us two weeks to blow out the candles. <laughs> hey, Jerry, let's get out of here before the wagon backs up. Yeah. <laughs> well, so long, Grandpa. 
Give my regards to Beethoven. I will, I will. <laughs> Look at them run away. They were nice youngsters, though. Well, people aren't so bad down here. <laughs> My, the streets are certainly crowded here in New York. Look at all those men and women going into that theater. Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Good old Bill. Wait till I tell him about this. He'd be so happy to know he's finally got a hit. <laughs> Gee, look at all the saloons on this street. I wonder what kind of a drink television is. <laughs> I don't remember it. What's that big bird doing up there in the sky? So noisy, too. Spelling out something. I.J. Fox. Must be a store up there. No, no, that would be impossible. There he is, officer! That's him! Oh, yes. Well, I'll handle him, kids. Hey, you there. You with the horn. Huh? Were you speaking to me? Yeah. Well, I understand you've been playing that trumpet you got there for the last 300 years. Yes, sir. I, I'm with Beethoven's Ethereal Melodians. Oh, you are, eh? Well, what's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, exactly how old are you? Uh, 355. Of course, I tell everyone up there that I'm 339. <laughs> I'm really 355. Oh, oh. Naughty, naughty, you're a bad boy. Well, it's only a white lie. You know, I, I just can't get over how this town has changed, and the people, too. Where are the Indians? In Cleveland. Yeah, Bob Hope's got them now. <laughs> Bob Hope? Sure, the big radio comedian. Don't tell me you've never listened to Hope. No, what did he say? Hmm. <laughs> now, uh, would you mind if I ask oh, look, you... look, I may be wrong, but I think that's the spot right there. Huh? The place where I was killed 300 years ago. You were what? I was killed here 300 years ago. I was run over by a cow. <laughs> I really was. A hit and mood driver. <laughs> Mr. Beethoven gets mad when I tell jokes like that. But it was my own fault, you know. I shouldn't have been out so late. Yes, well, look, uh, uh, uh... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look, Nathaniel, when did they let you out? A little while ago. Well, you're, you're going back, aren't you? Oh, of course. I just have to blow a few notes on this horn tonight, and then I'll return immediately. Oh. Well, why wait till tonight? Why not blow the horn now? Oh, I, I couldn't do that. You see, the chief said it wouldn't work unless it was exactly midnight on the dot. The chief said that, eh? Yes, sir. Oh. Well, I guess there's no harm in letting you run along. But you'll remember to go right home as soon as you blow, blow the bugle. Oh, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> I certainly will. Just as soon as I blew it, I will. <laughs> Well, goodbye. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Oh, no, you won't. If you've been good, I will. 
Goodbye. My, what a nice man. Step right inside the store here, folks. The auction is about to begin. Now, friends, I have here my hair on a timepiece that is acknowledged all over the civilized world as the finest example of watchmaking that human hands can create. My friends, just look at this watch. Look at the solid 14-carat gold-type case. Gold-type case? The jewel die, consisting of 24 genuine artificial diamonds. <laughs> the real synthetic alligator strap fit for a king's wrist. Gee. Ah, you like it, don't you? Well, I don't blame you, friends. Now, who'll start the bidding at $300? I'm a bid $300, $300, $300. Who'll say $300? One dollar. One dollar. I'm bidding up. All right, who'll make it a dollar and a half? Why, friends, the movement alone is worth that much. Who'll say a dollar and a half? A dollar and a half. A dollar and a half. Can anyone say a dollar and a half? I can say a dollar and a half. <laughs> a dollar and a half. See, I said it. <laughs> So, to the intelligent-looking man with the horn for a dollar and a half. Congratulations, sir. Here you are. Thank you, sir. My friend, you have a watch there that will last you a hundred years. A hundred years? What will I do with it after that? Oh, well, I'll think of something. (laughs) I wonder where the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel is. That's where I have to go. I better ask someone. Watch Street, get your pipers here. Watch Street, read all about it. I beg your pardon, but I'm... A piper? You want a piper, mister? Piper? <laughs> uh, what's a piper? A paper. <laughs> no, no, thank you. But could you, uh, could you direct me to the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel? Oh, Sonny, Sonny, it's one block down and two blocks to the right. Thank you. I understand it's a lovely place. Head at best. <laughs> I wouldn't live nowhere else. Oh, then you live there? Sure, I got the penthouse there. I just sell these papers for a hobby. My dad owns the four-way coal tablets. Oh. <laughs> well, if you have the penthouse, we'll be neighbors. I'll see you over there. That is, if you get home before midnight. Well, thanks again. Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't know where they come from, but I always get them. Pipers, get your pipers here. Pipers. Da 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 ding. Da 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 ding. Yeah, it was nice of him to direct me to the hotel. The earth can't be so bad with people like him on it. I wonder if the chief isn't making a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, oh, I didn't say it, chief. I was just thinking. It's just that it seems such a pity. I mean, there's so many nice. I'll do it. I'll do it, Chief. Don't worry, I'll do it. You see, Elizabeth, he's weakening already. I told you he was the wrong one to send. But, Chief, he'll do it. He said he would. He's on his way to the hotel now. I've got a good mind to recall him and send someone I can rely on. Oh, please, Chief, don't do that. Nathaniel's all right. It's just that he has such a soft heart. Well, I should have sent an older angel. Nathaniel is only 339. Anyway, that's what he says. But, Chief... How he got to look like that in only 339 years, I'll never know. 
I'm worried, Elizabeth. Oh, why don't you wait and see? I'm sure everything will be all right. It better be. If that horn doesn't blow at midnight, I'll drop him out of the phalanx. <laughs> So this is the Waldorf Biltmore. My, what a beautiful hotel. Sure is crowded, too. Paging Mr. Davis, Mr. Charles Davis. Paging Mr. Davis. Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Caesar, please. I'll take it, boy. Is that for Julius? No, sir. Irving. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar. Oh, fiddlesticks. I wanted to ask him how to get to the roof. So near midnight. I'll ask that man at the desk. Boy, take this luggage up to 1023, huh? Oh, good evening, sir. Uh, good evening. Could you tell me how to get to the roof? Why, yes, sir. You take that last elevator. It's an express. Thank you. And uh, is that clock up there on the wall correct? Yes, sir. It's exactly 10 minutes before midnight. You're quite certain? Oh, yes, sir. The sun rises and sets by that clock. I'm afraid you've been misinformed, if you don't mind my saying so. See, the sun's movements are completely independent of this planet. However, I will accept the time as 11.51 p.m. Thank you very much. I'm sure Western Union will be deeply grateful. <laughs> oh, that's perfectly all right. Are you stopping at the hotel, sir? Yes, for a short time. You staying overnight? No, and neither are you. <laughs> well, goodbye. Going up? Yes, the roof, please. That's a lovely elevator you have here. Eh, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. I suppose so. Is your name Otis? <laughs> yeah, how'd you guess? Otis J. Elevator, that's me. I'm pleased to meet you. I'm Nathaniel, 3rd Phalanx, 15th Cohort. My, it's nice in here. So intimate and cozy. It ain't so cozy when you have to stand in it all night long. All night long? Well, from 6 at night till 2 in the morning. Really? And I have good news for you. Tonight you're getting off at 12. <laughs> that's funny. The chief didn't tell me anything about it. Well, he told me. Well, I hope you're right. Uh, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Da-da-da-dee. Da-da-da-dee. Yeah, I wish I could get that right. Da-da-da-dee. What a beautiful sight up here on the roof. And all the stars are out tonight. There's Jupiter, Mercury, and Venus. Hello, Venus. Gee, she's pretty. Well, it's only five more minutes till midnight. Better get ready to blow the horn. Here's a good place to stand, right near the edge. I think I... What's that? Is someone there? Why, it's a girl, and she's crying. Uh, don't cry, miss. Whatever it is that's troubling you will be over very soon. It'll never be over. Never. Never. Oh, yes. Yes, it will, and... Just a couple of minutes. Please go away. Let me alone, can't you? But I assure you, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. He doesn't love me. He's sending me away. Well, I won't go back home. I won't. You, you can't very well go back home if you're not alive. Not... Not alive? Yes, of course. That's the answer. The only answer. 
It's all clear now. Well, I'm very happy to have been of service. <laughs> Less than two minutes left. I'll show him. I wonder what he'll say when I'm gone. Well, here goes. Goodbye, Andrew. Wait, wait, you mustn't. You mustn't jump. Let me go. Let me go. No, no, you can't. Why not? It was your idea. But suicide is a mortal sin. You let go of me. Be patient. Just a few more seconds. No, I won't be talked out of it. You've got to listen to me. Now, there's very little time. Hey, Peggy. Peggy. Andrew. <laughs> what? Who's this? Oh, Peggy, darling. Hey, you get your hands off my girl. Let go of me, mister. It's midnight. I've got to blow my horn. I ought to jam it down your throat. My horn? <laughs> oh, let him go, Andrew. He didn't do anything. Oh, Peggy, I've been such a fool. Can you ever forgive me? As soon as you left, I realized what a mistake I made. Oh, Peggy, I'll never let you go again, believe me. Well, let go of me, then, and put your arms around her. Please, Andrew, it's midnight. I gotta blow the horn. Oh, Andrew, I'm so happy I could start crying all over again. Look, not tonight, baby. We're gonna celebrate. Come on. Wait, wait, give me back my horn. Here you are, bud. Catch. Whoop! I missed it. I missed it. It's falling all the way down the street. I won't have time to get it. What am I going to do? Now I'll never get to be an angel senior grade. What am I going to tell the chief? I couldn't help it, chief. I couldn't help it. Give me another chance. Please, chief, please. Just one more chance. I want to be a senior. <laughs> That's act two of tonight's Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny with Claude Rains. Time out again very briefly, and Frank Martin speaking for the Ford Motor Company. A gold medal is quite an impressive thing, particularly when it's awarded to the car chosen as the fashion car of the year. That gold medal has just been awarded to the 1949 Ford. Bearing out the judgment of millions of Americans... The Fashion Academy of New York, after examining all cars in all price ranges, picked the 1949 Ford as embodying all the essential qualities of good taste, modern design, and subtle harmony in line and color. Yes, the style experts have officially awarded the gold medal to the 1949 Ford for its beauty and advanced styling that set Ford apart in its field. And this recognition of Ford styling is not an accident. The 1949 Ford is the only completely newly designed car in its field. Ford engineers, designers, and stylists redesigned the Ford from roof to road, creating a completely new car to give you better, safer, easier driving. Truly modern motoring. And one basic part of that redesigning is Ford's new style, an advanced style that suits a truly advanced car, a style that expresses in steel and glass and chrome, the power, comfort, safety, and solid roadability, the advanced performance of the new Ford. Back of every point of Ford styling, you will find a good reason. More headroom, legroom, seatroom, luggage room. More visibility, more safety, more comfort, more efficient performance. And above all, better, easier driving. The 1949 Ford, alone in its field, was completely redesigned to give you those things. And it does. 
The 1949 Ford is not just a remodeled pre-war car, but the most advanced car in its field, the truly modern, truly post-war car. You can tell how advanced 1949 Ford styling is by looking at a new Ford and then looking at other new cars of older style. But you won't know how truly advanced it is until you drive a 1949 Ford, until you take the wheel and feel the difference, feel the big difference that Ford's advanced design makes. Why not ask one of your friends to let you drive his new Ford or see your friendly Ford dealer? When you drive a Ford, you'll feel different. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. The Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight will be resumed after a brief pause for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Fletcher Markle again, and now for the third act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel and Claude Rains as the chief. Elizabeth, of all the angels who could have done the job, you had to recommend Nathaniel. But, Chief, it wasn't his fault. Nathaniel was only trying to stop that poor girl from committing suicide. A mortal sin. Well, that wasn't his job. He should have obeyed orders. There are too many people down there committing mortal sins. That's why Earth has to be destroyed. Please, Chief, give Nathaniel another chance. After all, you've only lost one day. I know, I know, but Nathaniel has botched up every assignment I ever gave him. Remember two months ago when I put him in the weather department? All he had to do was to see that the clouds went in the right direction. And what happened? He got the elements so mixed up it snowed in California. Nathaniel. Nathaniel, No, but, Chief, that was an accident. After all, he was new on the job and he just didn't know. Imagine snow in California. He knows very well it's not even supposed to rain there. That's where we keep our smog. No, Elizabeth, I have no alternative. Nathaniel must be recalled. Chief, if you recall Nathaniel, now you'll destroy all his confidence. He tried so hard to make good. He was so happy at the chance to become an angel, senior grade. If you take that chance away from him, you'll break his spirit. And that's all he's got left. <laughs> oh, please, Chief. Be just a little more patient with him, won't you? Elizabeth, I don't know why I let you talk me into these things, but you always do. Then you'll give Nathaniel another chance? Oh, thank you, Chief, thank you. You're so good and kind, and he'll be so grateful. Well, you better blow that horn at midnight tonight, or else. And that's my last word. Else. I'll thunder him his directions. <laughs> It certainly was nice of the chief to give me another chance. Lucky this horn didn't break when it hit the street. I'll just have to make good tonight. Let's see, there's still a little time before midnight. Guess I'll sit here in the lobby for a while. Certainly is a busy hotel. Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar, please. Hmm, same one he paged yesterday. I'll have to ask Julius if he has any relatives down here. <laughs> Julius is so nice. 
I think Brutus was definitely out of line. <laughs> well, I got about 15 minutes yet. Yeah, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Pardon me. May I sit down here? Oh, why, certainly, certainly. There's plenty of room. Oh, thank you. Whoops. Wait till I remove the horn. <laughs> there you are. Thank you. Isn't this a beautiful hotel? Yes, yes, it is. I had such a busy day. And you know, in about an hour, the limousine is coming back for me. And I have to go to a midnight supper at the Stork Club. Really? Yes. And then I'll have to go home and get some rest because tomorrow I have so much more to do. I'm going to Saks Fifth Avenue and buy a complete wardrobe for my trip to Honolulu. Oh, you're going to Honolulu? Oh, yes, I have to go. You see, I hit the giant jackpot on singing again, and I've been traveling ever since. <laughs> I, uh... I don't understand. And not what... only that, they painted my house inside and out, and it looks so strange now. Oh. I loved it the way it was. <laughs> well, look, lady... I'm Mrs. Watson. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Watson? My name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel. A third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> oh, I've never been there. Oh, no, no, it isn't a place. Paging Jack Benny. Mr. Jack Benny, please. Paging Jack Benny. Uh, Mrs. Watson, what oh, I meant oh, to say... Oh, wait a minute. Did you hear that? What? They're paging Jack Benny. Jack Benny? Yes. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard him on the radio? Well, well, no, no. Oh, I, I, I hope he's living in this hotel. I might see him. He's simply wonderful. <laughs> I listen to him every Sunday, even though I can't win anything. Oh, <laughs> oh well, what does this... You Benny... know the thing I like about him? What? He pretends to be stingy and cheap, and I'm sure he's not that way at all. <laughs> he, uh, he isn't? No, I can tell just by listening to him that he's the sweetest, kindest, and the most generous man in the whole world. Oh. Well, it's nice to know there are people like that. <laughs> and you want to know something? I almost met him a year ago. You did? Yes, I guessed he was the walking man, but they never called me on the phone. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I better wait out in front of the hotel now. The limousine will be coming any minute. The limousine? Yes. Governor Dewey is the one who has to take me to the stork club. That's part of the jackpot. <laughs> oh. Well, goodbye, Mrs. Watson. It was nice talking to you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Phalanx. Uh, no, no, no. It's a Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, third Phalanx, 15th cohort. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, now, that was the sweetest old... Oh, my goodness. That nice old lady thinks she's going to Honolulu tomorrow. And I have to... Oh, no. <laughs> Look, Nathaniel is weakening. Who cares whether anybody goes to Honolulu or not? He cares, Chief. He worries about everything. That's why he's so... so... Stupid. That's what he is, stupid. 
I still say we sent the wrong angel. No, you didn't, Chief. He still has time. He'll go through with it. Then what's he sitting there for? Why doesn't he go up on the roof and get ready? Look, look what he's doing down there now, biting his nails. Well, he's nervous. Nervous about what? Destroying one of our smallest planets? It's ridiculous. Well, warn him again, Chief, so he'll know it's almost midnight. All right, all right. I'll send him another thundergram. Yes, yes, Chief, I know. Well, I still got about seven minutes. Gee, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Monsieur. Huh? Oh, oh, hello, little girl. Hello. Are you lost? No, monsieur, I am not lost. Oh. Oh, I thought the way you were looking at me, you you wanted to ask me something. No, no. You just seem so sad, sitting here all by yourself. I am sad. Why, monsieur? Because of something I have to do at midnight. I'm worried about it. Well, you mustn't worry. My mother told me, even when we were in the camp, not to be sad, because someday everything would be all right. The, uh, the camp? You were in... A prison camp, monsieur, back in France. Oh. Oh, I see. Did you do something wrong? No, monsieur. Well, uh... Would you like a piece of my candy bar, monsieur? No, thank you. Although I haven't had a bite since I came down here. <laughs> Except my nails. <laughs> then please take a bite of this chocolate bar. Well, thanks. Thanks. What's your name? Angelique. Angelique? That means little angel in French. Oui, monsieur. You know, I'm an angel, too. <laughs> I'm a big angel. You are? What's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> What's your cohort? I don't know. Je ne comprends pas. Oh, then you haven't been in this country long. No. We just came on the boat this morning from France. Oh, and did you say you were in a prison camp? Yes, me and my mama. For three whole years. Then the Americans came and got us out. Oh. Well, where's your mommy and your daddy? Well, my mama is right over there. But I don't know where my daddy is. He used to be a soldier. Oh. Oh, well, Angelique, how is it that you speak English so well? Mama has been teaching me a long time. Three whole years. Three years? I suppose that is quite a long time for a mortal. Especially such a small mortal. And you don't know where your father is? No, monsieur. But Mama said he was the most wonderful man in the world. And we're all going to be together again someday. Angelique? Angelique? Is Mama? Here I am. Oh, I was worried when I did not see you. Oh, she's quite all right. We were just sitting here talking. He is a very nice man, Mama. Angelique, were you annoying this gentleman? Oh, no, 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 not at all. We had such a nice chat. And Angelique was telling me what a wonderful man her father is. And you're all going to be together again. Is he in New York? Uh, no, monsieur. Angelique uh, would not understand, but he is... Uh, he's, well, he was a great hero. Oh, I see. And you just arrived from France this morning? Huh? Yes. Uh, tonight we are going to take the train to Chicago. We are going to live with relatives there. I have not seen them for over ten years, but they have asked us to come to them. Well, that will be nice. And your little girl can grow up in a good home-like... Oh, uh-oh. 
Oh, my goodness. What am I saying? You look sad again. Yes, yeah, I just remembered something. Mama, Mama, can I have another piece of candy? Angelique, I just gave you a whole bar. I know, but I offered to share it with this man, and he ate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I just meant to take a bite. Yes. Well, here's some money. You can buy another bar right over there. Thank you, Mama. You know, monsieur, Angelique does not know that her father is dead. Yes, I realize that. She's too young to understand. You see, she was just an infant when he was killed. Monsieur, you don't think there can be another war, do you? Well, not if I... No, I don't think so. Another war would mean the end of everything... There is not a country in the world that could go through it again. Not the way they fight wars now. People would just destroy each other. They would? Oh, yes, monsieur, yes. And yet it seems very simple for a lot of people to forget about a time of war. They do not want to remember. But we must remember, monsieur. All of us. And take care, or we will die for it. Now it is time for people to get to know each other. Now it is time for people to come together in the world. But there's very little time left, you see. I know, monsieur. Oh, you do? Of course. If we do not change ourselves soon, it will be too late. Though the war is over, there is much still not settled. It may take five years or even ten years before we find the answer to real happiness and understanding. But we will find it, monsieur. We must now reach out to each other and find out about each other. By coming here, Angelique and I have a chance to do that. And we are grateful. We must find peace with each other, monsieur, or we are lost. Yes, yes, I'm sure you're right, but you see... Mama, I have another candy bar. Would you like to share it with me, monsieur? No, no, thank you. I've, I've had enough. Well, come on, Angelique, we must go. Uh, goodbye, monsieur. Uh, monsieur... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> uh, goodbye, Angelique. Goodbye, monsieur. Goodbye. Hmm. What a cute little girl. Spent three years of her life in a prison camp. Well, it's getting near midnight. Better take the elevator up to the roof. Going up, sir? Yes, yes, the roof, please. Well, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, it's almost midnight. I'm sure glad it's a nice night. It's the last one. Keep thinking about that little girl, Angelique and her mother. They seem so nice. All they wanted the chance to live together in peace. Maybe most people are good. Maybe the war has been a lesson. If that's true, then the 
Earth shouldn't be destroyed. Chief. Chief, do you think that I ought to go... But, Chief, you heard what she said, that little girl's mother. They've never had a chance before. Let them have it now while they... But, Chief, look, there must be millions of others just like them who need time to get to know each other. We have such hopes for the future. This is what Angelique's father gave his life for, to give other people a chance. And now you want to take it away from him. Chief, let's wait a while. Look, Chief, look. I suppose all these people down here don't get together. Suppose there is another war. And the whole world destroy itself. They'll blow the earth to pieces. And then remember, Chief, that would take the responsibility off your shoulders. You won't be to blame. See? <laughs> See what I mean, Chief? You've waited this long, thousands and thousands of years. What harm is there waiting a little longer? Give them a chance. Maybe they'll get to work and live together in peace. Everything will straighten itself out, and it'll, it'll be the way you want it to be. What was that, Chief? Oh. Then I won't have to blow the horn? I'm glad you changed your mind. Well, I'd like to come back now, Chief. I'd like to see you and Elizabeth and Horatio, and I'd even like to see Mr. Beethoven, too, even though he does holler at me all the time. From now on, I'm going to practice real hard and make him proud of me. Thanks, Chief. I'll leave right now. Going down, mister? Yeah? Going down? No, thank you. Up. From the Ford Theater in Hollywood, you have just heard Mr. Jack Benny starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight. Tonight's version for listening was prepared by Hugh Wedlock and Howard Snyder, and the original musical score was composed and conducted by Cy Fuhr. The Ford Theater, a full hour of dramatic entertainment, is brought to you every Friday by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Lincoln and Mercury cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, and the new 1949 Ford car, officially chosen as the fashion car of the year. It's Ford for the new look in styling, and it's Ford for the new feel in driving. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. Now again, Mr. Markle. May a director identify the principals in our cast tonight. In the foreground... The chief. ...was played, of course, by Mr. Claude Rains, who will soon be seen in the Hal Wallace production, Rope of Sand. Elizabeth. ...was played by Mercedes McCambridge. Angelique. ...was Anne Whitfield. Angelique's mother. ...was played by Jeanette Nolan. Mrs. Watson. ...was Jane Morgan. Mr. Beethoven. ...was Hans Conried. Jerry and Johnny. ...were played by Jerry Farber and Johnny McGovern. Actively assisting were Paul McVeigh, Miriam Wolfe, Eddie Marr, Joseph Kearns, Jay Novello, Julian Upton, Sidney Miller... Herb Vigran, Byron Kane, and uh, Shirley Mitchell. Anybody else? Yes, Nathaniel. Was played by Jack Benny. <laughs> Jack, I've uh, got a confession to make. What is it, Fletcher? After all the kidding we did on your program about the horn blows at midnight, I have to admit now that I never saw the picture. You didn't? I just couldn't bring myself to walk into the theater. Why? It's a complex I have, Jack, the fear of being alone. 
Well, anyway, Flesher, I want to tell you it was really nice doing this show for you tonight, and I promise you one thing. If I ever make another bad picture, you can have first crack at it. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. By the way, just one more question before I give you your check. Oh, the check. Yes, yes. It, you know, it slipped my mind. <laughs> get your hand out of my pocket. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes, excuse me. What is it you wanted to ask me, Fletcher? Well, you always kid so much about your age. Tell me, Jack, and be on the level this time. How old are you, really? Fletcher, I'm 39. <laughs> So long, Fletcher. Goodbye, Jack, and see you again. We'll be listening to your regular program on PBS this coming Sunday night, and Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman will be your guest. Now it's the next week. Next week on the Ford Theater, we're going to have a story with music. Our star is Mr. Bing Crosby, and our story is one of his most recent films, Welcome Stranger. It's a pleasant portrait of a young doctor who goes to a small New England town so that the local physician can take his first vacation and then suddenly find himself an unwelcome stranger. We're very happy to have with Mr. Crosby, Mr. Barry Fitzgerald, playing his original role, and we'll be welcoming back Miss Anne Blythe for a return visit. We hope you'll be with us. And until next week, until Bing Crosby, Anne Blythe, and Barry Fitzgerald in Welcome Stranger, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night, and thank you from all of us in the Ford Theater. <laughs> Close at Midnight was presented to the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of the Academy-nominated Johnny Belinda, starring Jane Wyman and Lou Ayers. The Ford Motor Company invites you to join us again next week at this hour to hear Bing Crosby, Barry Fitzgerald, and Anne Blythe starring in Welcome Stranger. This is Frank Martin speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, some films just get better with time, and The Horn Blows at Midnight is one of them. We're delighted to have brought you this rare radio adaptation of the great Jack Benny classic comedy, The Horn Blows at Midnight, which is now on DVD for the very first time, remastered from the Warner Archive collection. You can find it by going to our website, warnerarchive.com, where you'll also find another Jack Benny Warner Brothers classic, which has been remastered and released on DVD for the first time, George Washington Slept Here. So please check out our website and please listen for further Warner Archive Collection podcasts. Have a great day.